Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We invite you to subscribe to our feed. New episodes right to you via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or you can go to nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, and please leave reviews for our episodes, new and old. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I, uh, you know what? It's uh, we've never been worse here, Scott. I, I'm really, really, really sorry, but I, I'm afraid we may have torpedoed the commercial viability and prospects of political beats, at least stateside, after the uh, the somewhat unfortunate and uh, uh, loudish comments that I made in a drunken haze when I went on uh, the fifth column podcast. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I, 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 I'm just going to say that in the cold light of day, I may or may not have said certain things about Michael Moynihan that were, in retrospect, not true. <laughs> but you know what? Everyone was so drunk, no one knows for sure. We just have a, a very and, and, and not only that, I have, I have scheduled a confessional interview with Rolling Stone, which I will then disavow two years later. <laughs> and on top of that, I am recording a Smith's tribute album to prove that I am not bigoted against people who like Moby Pop music from the 80s. You have your plans set, my friend. Very nice. At Esoteric CD on Twitter for Jeff. Our guest on this episode, a returning guest, he is politics editor at Business Insider and Insider, and the producer ombudsman of the Fifth Column podcast. You can find that at wethefifth.com. On Twitter, at Anthony L. Fisher. He's Anthony Fisher. Anthony, thanks for coming back with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's uh, one of my favorite shows. Uh, just just one of your favorite shows? Yeah, I got like three. Okay. So it's, it, it actually is high praise. It's I don't a short list. A podcast junkie. We can live there. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, you have been a guest before, but for people who have not caught the other episode, please tell us a bit about your uh, particular political beat job and how you got into this little ecosystem. Yeah, uh, I'm currently the politics editor at Insider uh, and Business Insider, uh, to clear up any confusion. Um, both uh, both sites host the articles that the reporters who report to me um, write, and it's uh, merely a matter of Business Insider going a more business and tech route and Insider being a more general news site. But uh, the work can be seen on both. Uh, and uh, on a daily basis, I'm handling dozens of breaking news pitches and articles, uh, some features, some deeper dives. Um, and, you know, I, I found my way into journalism um, working backwards. I was at The Week magazine as an editor. I was a producer at BuzzFeed News, also did a stint as a producer at Fox News. So I've kind of run the gamut. Uh, and did a bunch of years as both a video producer and a print reporter and an editor at Reason. So I've uh, I've been across the political spectrum journalistically, and um, in general, uh, at this moment, my my focus is laser focused on the 2020 campaign. Well, at least for the next two hours, you can forget about that because <laughs> we have the opportunity to uh, talk about. Uh, I know uh, for each of us, one of our absolute favorite musical artists. Been waiting on this one for a while. This is a two-part episode, so part one of two, in which we talk about Declan McManus, who you might know better as a guy named Elvis Costello. Anthony, you take the floor first. Tell us about why you love Elvis Costello, how you got into him, and why other people should care. 
Yeah, so I got into Elvis Costello. My my initial introduction of where I was actually aware of him was uh, probably MTV in the late 80s, uh, which I watched obsessively, uh, and the video for Veronica, which was uh, apparently loosely based on um, his grandmother with the, a form of dementia. And um, I remember kind of thinking that... Uh, this guy with glasses who's got a kind of a Buddy Holly vibe and there's this really upbeat peppy pop song, but it's clear in the video that this is a very sad song. Um, something about that, even as a, as a young person, uh, appealed to me that there's, there's a lot of contradiction going on and maybe it was the glasses or, or, or the way he carried himself, but I, I just had a feeling that this was, um, this was smart music. And as I got a little older, I discovered the first albums I discovered were Armed Forces and Imperial Bedroom, um, which I got on vinyl. And for a while, they were the only Elvis Costello albums I had. And to me, at the time, I almost felt like they were Rubber Soul and Revolver, that they were like the most, uh, uh, you know, this was the mid period. This was the, this is, if you wanted to play Elvis Costello to somebody who had never heard it, this is what you'd go with. And it's funny now, years later, I realized that that is completely not true. They're wildly different albums, and there's a bunch of stuff that happened between them. Um, so I, I also was a big Larry Sanders show fan in high school, <laughs> and Elvis made two appearances on that show yes. where he, uh, did both great musical performances, uh, one which I shared with you guys over email of uh, a little-known song called Little Adams. And, but in, in both uh, episodes, he makes fun of himself savagely, mm -hmm. as any good Larry Sanders guest would do, um, <laughs> even, even down to the uh, you know, trashing of a dressing room. You know? And uh, uh, as, I, as I dug a little deeper in college, um, I, I listened to so much Elvis Costello in college, and that was where I saw him live for the first time at the, the Orpheum Theater in Boston. And it was just him and Steve Naive, uh, keyboardist, piano virtuoso of the Attractions and the Imposters. And so this was probably about 1998 or 1999. I can't remember what he was doing, which, which album he was on, but a lot of the songs he played that night would come out on When I Was Cruel a few years later. Uh, but he he was even with just him and a piano player and of course he's got the guitar the way he could carry a room um with these little three to four minute pop songs that were super erudite um was just unbelievable i mean i, I saw him close that show doing a version of couldn't call it unexpected with uh with no microphone hmm. it was just steve naive on the piano and he's singing out into the hall and at that big uh you know, do 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 coda at the end. He got the entire crowd to to back him up, and it was it was just beautiful. And um, you know that was so that's you know good twenty years ago. And since then, I've I managed to uh, make enough money that I could obsessively complete my Elvis Costello collection, mostly on vinyl for some reason. I don't know why. I just kept getting used vinyl records of his for five dollars or so. And uh, when it when it came down to it, um, it meant so much to me because. It, it was the kind of music that um, I was most attracted to and, and, and still at, at this given moment, like I still love jangly three minute pop or R&B, you know, stuff that comes from the girl groups and through the punks and, and thereafter uh, early Beatles. That's just the sound that most appeals to me, even though I like a lot of stuff. And the thing about Elvis is he would play that music, but he would play it with uh, a Bob Dylan level of literature in his lyrics and storytelling and a, and a Randy Newman style sarcasm and dark uh, satire. 
And to me, it was um, it, it, as an adult, I've I, I, I don't I haven't really done an audit on how many shows I've seen of his. And I see a lot of shows even even at this advanced age. But I, I estimated it was about a dozen. And in the last two years alone, it's been three times. And I just I was thinking, like, why this guy is in his 60s? You know, he's, he's putting out new music a little bit, but he's kind of pretty much done. Uh, but why do I go see him every time? And the reason I go see him every time is because it's great every time. He still is putting on a show. He's mixing up the eras of what he plays. The band, you know, the, the imposters are tight. He's got two backup singers who just nail their spots. And it's just always a good time. So the... It, it, it hits it hits all my beats it's got the it's got the pop r&b thing it's got the 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 great literature um and it's fun Elvis Costello during that period of high school where, of course, you're young and impressionable and you're looking for brilliant music, but in particular looking for brilliant music that not everybody else knows already. So, yes, as you can imagine, inevitably what happened very quickly is that I soon wanted to be Elvis Costello. That's how deeply I got obsessed with his music. I started with a greatest hits album, that Ryko disc, greatest hits, the green one. Mm. I think anybody in the 90s who got into Elvis mm -hmm. on CD knows that record. Then I started buying his records. Then I started memorizing his lyrics then i started obsessively digging into the bonus tracks and the b-sides and looking for all of the new material and then you know at a certain point in college i was the bespectacled nerd with a guitar playing elvis costello songs sometimes uh i'm not proud of this but every now and then when a girl would say that's a really good song who wrote that i'd be like um me uh, yeah i did that in those early pre-google days you could get away with brazen lies like that and, and and sometimes you know you know get a date at the end of the night if you were clever enough i i, I confess this with a not even much of a sense of shame i'm actually proud of my my craft um but the point for me that's interesting is you know all of, all of the things that appeal about ellis costello are self-evident <clears throat> the literate lyrics as anthony talked about they're, they're really you know, uh, respectful and respectable commitment to not only songcraft but to his his predecessors. This is a guy who who is is you know came out of the sort of punk new wave era, but was not a punk in any sense. He was a guy who loved country music. He was a guy who loved uh, you know the band and the Grateful Dead and you know you know classic songwriters like Burke Bacharach and Hal David. And it shows up even in his earliest songs in the writerliness with which they are put forth. Um, those are the great virtues. The other great virtue, of course, is his backing band for his the first part of his career, the, the part of his career that we're going to be discussing here for sure, the attractions. Um, but I think it's also interesting, and I must point this out, that as time has gone by, I've somewhat fallen away from Elvis Costello. Not to the point where I, I, I think he's a lesser artist or that I dislike him, but that there's something about his bitterness, the, 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 the sourness, the sort of... There's something in every one of his songs, practically from this classic era. You know, maybe you know, short of "Every Day I Write the Book" is like the one example I can think of that isn't like this. 
that if you chew on it hard enough, it feels like you're biting on tin foil. Eventually, you get that metal piece that just digs right into your gum line or gives you the ice cold chill because there's such an anger and a rage that brews beneath the lyrics of his music, the extremely literate and extremely witty lyrics of his music that ultimately when I stayed with it for too long, I came back and then I, and I felt like, well, there's, there's, almost too much a little toxicity in here for me which is not to say that that elvis costello's music is toxic in any way but there's only so much anger that a man can take that one criticism that I would level against the classic era of Elvis. By the way, he, he changed. He mellowed out and changed quite a bit. On our second episode, we're going to talk about uh, you know the first album we're going to talk about. It's, it's a dramatic change of pace from this, this phenomenon that I'm describing. But this early classic era of Elvis, and he says it too. He says like there was drugs, there was built-up resentment, years of being like a nerd, a beta n- loser, working at a data entry job in the suburbs of London, and suddenly he's a rock star, and now he's like living his rock star dreams and, and doing lots of you know callous and selfish things, and it shows up in the lyrics, it shows up in the music. So I guess that's the second, that's the that's the subcurrent that I want to un- identify and maybe talk a little bit about when we talk about Elvis, who despite everything I've just said here, is, like you guys, one of my favorite artists <laughs> of all time. And yeah, I have basically his entire discography uh, burned into my brain. Uh, I, I, it's painted from memory, as, as, the, as the word would go. I, I know it so well. I know it uh, so cold. And I have devoted such time and love to it that I'll never not have a part of my heart that always belongs to Elvis Costello. And I came to Elvis a little later in because I was I was um, consciously pushing it off. Um, I, I knew about the vast discography, the amount of work that had been produced, and Elvis is one of those artists that it seems to me you are either into a whole hog or you you keep at at arm's length. Uh, I was telling uh, Jeff before the, the show started, I'm trying to find someone to go with me to uh to elvis's show in in ann arbor coming up in a little bit and a couple people i that are that are big music fans that i've talked to have said no i'm not a not really a big elvis fan i'm like how can you not be and it's like well exposure i just haven't been exposed to a lot of his stuff and for me that was on on purpose i I didn't want to do it until i had the time to really dig into it so it was um my junior year of college, and I was alone in the dorm room in the quad. My three roommates were gone, and one of my roommates was already a pretty big 
Costello fan, and, and his, uh, his CDs were laying near the stereo, and Armed Forces was there. And I thought, well, this is as good a time as any. And so Armed Forces was my entry point, uh, the, the gateway drug into the rest of Elvis Costello's career. Accidents Will Happen, the, the first song in that journey. I, I'd known some Costello songs, certainly, that pump it up, and, and Veronica, and Every Day I Write the Book, because they, they, they were the singles that still got a little bit of airplay. But digging into Armed Forces and hearing that for the first time, uh, I, was, I was basically immediately sold on Costello and his music. And I now I'm coming into Elvis at the just the right time because this is when all of those pristine Rhino reissues are being put out three at a time. Uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. Uh, and all these classic albums are being released with outstanding liner notes from Costello himself. Something I mentioned, you know, if you love Elvis Costello, you can read virtually as much as you want about him by him through liner notes, through interviews, through his like 700 page memoir, which I tore through last summer. Um, he has written so much about himself and his music. It's all out there. Those reissues had these great liner notes. They had these great uh, bonus CDs with B-sides and outtakes and, and live cuts. They were all coming out at the same time. And then I remember I picked up Blood and Chocolate, which, uh, I mean, if you're not an Elvis Costello fan, you might not know anything from Blood and Chocolate. And that was like the first one where I didn't know any song at all, and I put it on and still loved it. And I'm like, well, this guy truly is a great songwriter. It's one of the, I, I, I don't know anyone really off the top of my head who was, well, I guess Dylan perhaps, right? But someone who has written so many great songs over the years. There are very few songs especially in this era we'll, we'll handle today, um, w w so, you know, songs that are pointless or songs that, that don't have a, a, a very well-thought-out design. Virtually everything he does uh, is, 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 is pulled off to the best of his ability. And uh, so I've seen him, I think, four times in concert. Uh, it'll be five coming up in uh, in a month or two. And Elvis is one of those artists, too, where late career, we, we just did the, the Stones, where, where we all had very big praise for Voodoo Lounge and Bridges to Babylon. And, uh, I, I, you know, in, in part two, we'll get, get to this in part two, but, you know, his late career albums, National Ransom and Delivery Man, are still very, very excellent. Um, and, and those songs get played at, at a number of shows too. It's a it's a well worthwhile journey to take, but you got to got to take that first step, and you have to probably know a bit about him and his his work to to get going. And so that's what we'll try to do today, I suppose. 
I mean, I guess the place that you start is uh, talking about who Declan Patrick McManus was. Uh, he was a data entry specialist. That's right. He worked near the local Hoover factory in the suburbs of London, uh, a song and an image that would pop up later on in his, his uh, discography. Uh, and what did he do? He was just, you know, typing numbers and data. in. of course, what did he really do in his spare time? He already had a wife and kids. He was a wannabe musician who was playing with local bands in the clubs and in, you know, pubs uh, during the whole English pub rock scene, which is sort of a forgotten fad of the, the British in early 1970s. Uh, Elvis Costello, or rather uh, Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds were also a part of that scene. Um, uh, and uh, he had always, of course, had his real dream, which is to be a professional musician. And he'd been writing all these songs, recording demos every now and then, uh, submitting them to, to friendly DJs to try to see if they played them on the radio that uh, would get anybody's attention. Uh, none of that ever really worked out until this local uh, startup indie label named stiff records came into existence uh stiff records was like one of these sort of great you know you know uh, one of the one of the one of the great legacies of the new wave punk scene of of the mid to late 1970s they had nick lowe and ian dury mm-hmm. and um uh, I can't even remember. Dave Edmonds, I think, was on there, too. Uh, basically, just a bunch of guys who didn't quite comfortably fit into the punk uh, bag. So they weren't, like, you know, wearing safety pins in their noses and screaming about how they were anarchists. But they had very intelligent, offbeat, hooky pop sensibilities with, with rock presentation that was had no place at that point prior to that point on the charts of the 70s which is always very prog and if it wasn't prog it was you know soul disco or or it was you know Paul McCartney singing about silly love songs. So Elvis sent in a demo tape to Stiff Records and uh, Stiff's uh, executive, I think it was a guy named Nick Riviera, said, you know what? We like you here. Why don't we uh, let Nick Lowe, you know Nick Lowe, and actually they had known each other socially because Elvis had been a fan of his and had been going to his gigs for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why don't we let Nick, Nick Lowe can produce you? And so he did, and they recorded a couple of songs on spec. One of them was a song came called Radio Sweetheart. Another one was a song called Mystery Dance. And then the third one was a song called Less Than Zero. And that's where Elvis Costello begins with the song Less Than Zero, his first single release, a very political song that I love, and I'm pretty sure that you guys like too, but which still has really never made any sense to people in America uh, because people in America don't really know the first thing about who Oswald Mosley is, <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, the British Union of Fascism uh, from the 1930s. Uh, but the success of that in the UK charts led him to record his first album. They gave him like, all right, now you can record an album. And the name of that album is called My Aim Is True. It's recorded with Huey Lewis and the News. This is not a joke, people. This is recorded with the band that would later become Huey Lewis and the News, minus Huey, who was not on these sessions. Uh, but everybody else in the band was on this album playing as Elvis Costello's backing band. And this is, of course, widely regarded, widely hailed as one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Up there with, you know, Please Please Me, up there with uh, R.E.M.'s Murmur. And I have to say, after living with it for years, it was the first Elvis Costello album that I bought other than The Greatest Hits because that's where you're told to begin. You begin with the great debut. But, uh, I'm not sold on it being one of the greatest debut albums of all time. And I think like when you compare it to the rest of Elvis's material from these early years, uh, it's the weakest of the bunch, maybe aside from the album of weird country covers that he would do later. But I want to know what you guys think before I dig into the weeds. So just to, to, to bring it on back to um, uh, 
Oswald Mosley. <laughs> uh, he actually, there, there's been more discussion of him in the past year or two than you might think because of uh, the rise of Antifa, right? who uh, will always cite uh, the, the march, uh, the Battle of Cable Street, I believe it was called, where Oswald Mosley's fascists were stopped from marching, even though shortly after that they would win local elections. Uh, but the... It, it, the it, I, I have been listening to this song for two decades and I knew the Oswald Mosley connection, but I, I never truly appreciated how bold it would be for <laughs> a post-punk. It's not, we're not even post-punk at this point. It's 1976. It's, it's the height of punk. And this guy is coming out singing a, a song with a really weird cadence about uh, British fascists who uh, were, I guess, 50 years before, maybe not, but 40 years before this song was recorded. So that was uh, just pretty ballsy uh, for a debut single. And I, I think the ballsiest part of Less Than Zero is how it's framed. Mm -hmm. It's framed as like Mosley on TV being interviewed and sort of like whitewashing his past. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's happening in the foreground? Well, the thing that's actually happened is just like, you know, a, a guy and a girl you know, are at home on a date snogging with one another, <laughs> just making out on the couch. And they're completely oblivious to what's going on because everything else, everything means less than zero. Mm -hmm. So like they, they, they're allowing him to get away with this, this, this rewriting of history. Because all they want to do is, you know, get it on with each other. This, this song will come back because in a legendary Elvis Costello moment that we'll get to later, I'm sure, this is the song he's playing on Saturday Night Live when he abruptly stops the band and plays a different song. And My Aim is True, uh, I also got early on in my Elvis Costello uh, education. And I like you. I also like it less than I used to. But I, I will say this. It's mostly because of the production and the band. Uh, I actually think these are these songs are great, and they really show promise. There, there, there's, there's a lot more uh, sophistication to come. But um, I just well, I just listened to "Welcome to the Working Week," and like, what a what a way to kick off a debut album. <laughs> that was uh, it's it's a minute and twenty seconds long, and it really just lays out the snotty working class frustrated persona that would be the base of his career it's got that great opening line of now that your picture's in the paper being rhythmically admired which is a yeah. wonderful what? metaphor <laughs> now that your picture's in the paper being rhythmically admired you can have one that you have ever desired all you gotta tell me now is wow wow
And, and there's some other great songs like Miracle Man is is one that uh, is still it's it's sneaky it pops up in weird places it's actually in Godfather Three, uh, No Dancing and Blame It on Kane are they're they're very different you know Blame It on, Blame It on Kane's a little you know shuffly mm-hmm. uh, and you know Allison everyone knows um, it's one of those songs where you you even if you did like it at one point you probably are sick of it just because of how abused it's been on the top 40 and and classic rock radio. But again, for, for a debut, uh, a, what a dark love song, you know, and, and, and it's just impressive. You know, he he will write more dark love songs, much more than this. Uh, you know, the, the one line, uh, I heard you let that little friend of mine take off your party dress. It's just like, ah, savage. It's actually almost tough to listen to. <laughs> and there's other great songs on this album that, again, I wish were produced better and with a better band. Uh, Watching the Detectives is is a ubiquitous song in his career. Uh, I'm Not Angry is, 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 a, is a great ironic song. And my favorite, I think my favorite song on this album that I still think actually holds up, even this recording holds up, is The Angels Want to Wear My Red Shoes. Sure. Yeah, I mean, who can argue with the opening couplet to that, which I use like you know as a mantra probably a hundred times a, a year, which is I used to be disgusted, but now I try to be amused. Mm-hmm. And it's actually as upbeat as an Elvis Costello song will get. Yeah. You know, uh, since their wings have gotten rusted, now the angels want to wear my red shoes, and I'm not going to get any older now that the angels want to wear my red shoes. Just as as cheerful as they get. I think he said he wrote it like you know like you know like addled up on on coffee and, and probably caffeine pills on the way home yeah. on the train. Yeah. One day I had a burst of inspiration and out it came. And don't forget, um, I said, I'm so happy I could die. She said, drop dead and left with another guy. <laughs> as you cited. That's that, 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 that a great is, line. That, that is pantheon of, uh, yeah. of anyone in punk, but certainly of Elvis. <laughs> So there's two things I want to mention before we get to the album. One is my, my fellow Huey Lewis uh, fans will kill me if I don't mention. 
this is actually only there's only one future news member that plays on Mame is true, and that is Sean Hopper who plays uh, keyboards and, and piano. The rest of the band is is the rest of Clover, but not all of Clover made it to Huey Lewis and the News. Huey Lewis was not involved in the recording; he was a singer. Alex Call was another one of the singers in Clover. He was not involved, although he would later write eight six seven five three zero nine for Tommy Two Tone, and then Perfect World, another song for Huey Lewis too. But John McPhee was in Clover and on this album. He would play on future Costello albums and also would be in the Dewey Brothers later too, but only one future news member, Sean Hopper, really plays on My, My Aim is True. So he's the one we have to blame. That's right. And he'd be replaced by Steve Naive very, very quickly. Other thing I wanted to mention, which I think is important to understanding this album and then his progression too, is, is Elvis Costello's dad, Ross McManus. And if you read uh, Disappearing Inc., which is his memoir, you understand how unbelievably important Ross McManus was in Elvis's life, not just as a dad, certainly, but as a professional. Ross McManus was an English musician. He was a trumpet player. He uh, sang with uh, Joe Lawson as an orchestra. Um, and, and essentially, they would he would get all this music uh, to learn. They would say, here are the songs we're doing this week. They're all, you know, of, of contemporary uh, songs. Some were Motown, some were country, some were, you know, they were all over the map. And so Ross McManus would get these these records in and he'd learn the songs and he'd nail the lyrics and then essentially he'd hand them off to his son, Declan. And so that's where Elvis Costello really learned about all these genres of music um, and, and, and would be able to bounce from one to the other flawlessly and effortlessly. <laughs> And make these little illusions and lyrical asides, and uh, you know this is this is a, an artist that virtually from the beginning, and certainly by this year's model, the, the next album, there are all these musical references. You, you can tell what they've been, what he was listening to. You can tell what he loves. It, it's all over the place if you know where to look. And so a lot of that comes from from his dad, uh, Ross Ross McManus. So my aim is true. I I don't know if I, I have to defend it. I, you guys both like it, I know. I like it as much today as I, I think the first time I, I heard it. Uh, I, I, it does not stand up to the next few, but 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 very very few albums would stand up to the next few albums that would that would come out. There's a lot of great stuff here. I, I think Miracle Man is is a really fantastic song. It's, it, it's a funny song, right? It's it's about a frustrated man who, who's who's unskilled at, at sex, essentially, right? Um, all these little uh, lines and um, you know he's trying everything, crawling around at all fours. He doesn't want to do it all in vain. Um, I love the, the couplet. Everybody loves you so much, girl. I just don't know how you stand the strain. Um, little winks and, and kind of elbows to the ribs are all over the lyrics to Miracle Man.
and uh, the musically, you know, very prominent bass line. I do wonder how, how how Bruce Thomas would have would have kind of maybe killed and and improved on that bass line, even though oh, it's yeah. a Miracle Man. Sure. But but it's still very very nice and prominent. Miracle Man's a really really good song. You guys mentioned Red Shoes. That that's just a fantastic set of lyrics. The call and response. You know the oh that's too bad. Oh I'm so sad. I love that so much. Um, uh, you know, no dancing is is Phil Spector, right? It's it's just be my baby that beat uh, from no dancing and a very swinging chorus to no, no dancing on uh, on my aim is true. Um, uh, watching the detective is, is the one song of the album that's not with Clover as the backup band. That's got the rumor and actually uh, Steve Naive plays on watching the detectives. It was recorded at a different time. Yeah, it's not, it's not really part of the original right. album. It's just thrown onto the American edition, and so it's been all on, on all the subsequent CD versions. Yep. And you can tell, as as Anthony mentioned, you know the, the band is not where it should be to kind of match Elvis Costello's vision. You can tell in places he, he's really pulling that band forward. You know, let's go, let let's do this. Uh, it, it, in a few places on the album, but I think most of the songs hold up very well. I think m- the arrangements are a little raw and a little as is, but but all right. One thing I ought to mention: there's there's so much great stuff on the bonus disc that's in the it's in the, the Rhino reissue. If you can find it out there, and if not, there's some on Taking Liberties, which is the, 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 the collection put out later, and some are just on YouTube. But, you know, the, the, the country fixation that he had early on, Radio Sweetheart and Stranger in the House are just really great tracks. Uh, John McPhee plays Pedal Steel on Stranger in the House, and Radio Sweetheart was actually, I think, his first ever recording for uh, for Stiff. Um, it's a great little, you know, essentially country tune. And um, and then one of the earliest recordings, uh, Imagination, from from that uh, bonus disc, too. Very Allison-like in kind of its melody, and, and done when he was very, very young. It would have been, what, you know, 74, I believe. Yeah, 74, 17 years old, maybe. Uh, Imagination is a powerful deceiver. Great song on the, uh, on the bonus tracks. And again, so much of, of his career comes through in those extra songs that I'll be mentioning, and you, you guys likely will too, um, these tracks that sort of help paint in the little corners in each of these albums, ones that were either left off or, or B-sides, and they're just as good as a lot of the stuff on the albums. Well, the, the thing about my aim is true is that you know, I think we, I think you guys have both said a lot of a lot of good things that I'm just gonna not try to you know cover over again. Is that if this was anybody else's like debut album, it would be their greatest album. It's only the relative yeah. <clears throat> greatness of the rest of Elvis Costello's career that casts it into shade. There are things on it that do feel iconic, like that cover where they like, like I mean, he talks about this. Like they took like they, there's some, he said that for some reason that the stupid he looked on camera the more the camera seemed <laughs> yeah. to love him and so like he got this super nerdy photo and you can get why critics were just enthralled with him because what is this guy he looks like the rebirth of buddy holly and didn't they didn't they put elvis is king in little letters all over the album yes, like, yes, yes. i'm looking at i have it, i have the liner notes in my hands right now in fact that's an I'm early troll that's a very early troll exactly <laughs> elvis is king right you know as, as you said you like when i took the name elvis costello i mean obviously you know you can't be a rock star if your name is declan mcmanus so he He's like, you got to come up with a, a stage name. And then, like he said, Elvis Costello, it sounded like a dare. You know, it sounded, <laughs> I was daring people to not listen to my music or, or to like, you know, like, tolerate me. Uh, but, you know, that cover itself is iconic. But, you know, beyond that, yeah, yeah, we talk about the inadequacies of the band. I think this is the best song, the song where they're at, they're at best as an ensemble is, as Anthony mentioned, I'm Not Angry, which is hilariously ironic because the song is the angriest thing on the record by far. He screams like, I'm not angry. I'm not angry anymore. Um, 
Yeah, you are, buddy. It's pretty <laughs> clear you're very upset about That's your this. thing. You know, he's got this. I've got this trigger click, click, clicking in my head. I mean, yee, that's some tough lyric. on is one that Scott mentioned, which is No Dancing. I think that's sort of a template for what would become a lot of his great songs that you'd hear on, on albums like this year's model, Armed Forces, Get Happy later on. It's this very tight, very compact, very melodically intense song that starts with an obvious tribute to like an old great, you know, that, you know as, as Scott said, he's got that Phil Spector beat, the, the, the Be My Baby beat, but then it goes into this peculiarly Elvis place with that middle eight where he's like, you know, he's, he's getting down on his knees, he finds that, that girl ain't so easy to please um that really beautiful contrasting middle eight he's caught it like some disease and he said back to the beat Mm -hmm. no dancing no dancing that is an elvis costello trick that's a songwriterly trick that he figured out early in his career and i think this is the first place that he truly nails it Even the the bigger hits on this album sometimes feel a little bit more staid uh, in comparison to that. So like Mystery Dance is very kind of like a 50s Jerry Lee Lewis thing, which is good for what it is. But I've never loved it that much. And the same, I would say, for Allison. Allison is the bones of a great song, but I'm not really thrilled by the uh, the recording of it on this album. Uh, the lyrics are great, but the song itself feels like it's covered in, in, in like dust and mold. I, I don't like that recording very much. And of course, if I weren't comparing it with what's about to come next and the band that he's about to recruit next uh i would say this is one of the greatest albums ever made but unfortunately (laughs) for the poor guys in clover who recorded my aim is true with elvis costello he went and held auditions for his new touring band he found a guy who uh i think passed his audition by by playing keyboards and then falling asleep behind the amplifiers with a bottle of booze cradled up against him as his ears were leaning against the amps blaring out and i did elvis looked at him and said okay yeah yeah that's our man a guy named steve naive uh then he uh recruited uh two guys uh, 
with the same last name who aren't brothers, although everybody liked the joke that they are, Pete Thomas and Bruce Thomas. Pete Thomas on bass, uh, who later had a very bitter and very famous falling out with Elvis, which will show up on a very later album. Uh, and, uh, and, Pete, and Pete Thomas, who is their drummer, and I think Elvis still plays with every now and then from time to time. And these formed the attractions. And that's why when people talk about Elvis Costello, even to this day, even though the attractions haven't put out an album together since 1996, you hear it as joint statement it's almost always elvis costello and the attractions it's very rare that a band becomes that iconic and in fact you know the uh, you know, another irony or maybe it's just a coincidence is that you think of that with buddy holly and the crickets mm. you know the guy who elvis costello obviously looked like and i think people treated him like these sort of angry british uh you know snarky reincarnation of the buddy holly spirit of songwriting and independent ideas and music and that leads us to the next record of his something which even though it's on a continuum with Miami is true in a way feels like it couldn't be more different which is this year's model probably one of the great album covers of his career uh couldn't look more uh, nerdy and creepy on the cover you know he's standing in front of the the baker light camera and uh he's he's holding his hand out and taking a photo of you and i just assume that you're in your underwear when he's doing that because it has that <laughs> that pervy look on his face there's there's anger that is then found throughout all of these lyrics he denies it he says i don't know why people think this is such an angry out but well i don't know elvis maybe it's because they listen to the music <laughs> the first lyrics on this song on this album are, i don't want to kiss you i don't want to touch and then the attractions roar in <laughs> ba -ba -da -da -bow, bow. that's a song called no action that there are so many classic songs on this record but i still might think because of everything it represents for elvis costello for this band and for the uh, evolution of his sound maybe my favorite one on the album what do you guys think about this year's model I, I love this year's model and uh, no action is, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible for me to do my top five or top 10 or whatever we do without no action on it. Um, it is so explosive. It meant something to me when I was an angry young man. It means something to me now that I'm a, you know, pretty comfortable middle-aged man. There's a, there's an intensity, an intensity and emotion in the songwriting, in the performance, in the uh, execution that is just it, it's just fire it's the uh, the the line uh during the breakdown i'm not a telephone junkie i told you that we were just good friends it's like whole i mean being on either end of that uh conversation is, is just brutal i don't want to kiss you i don't want to i don't want to see you because i don't miss you that Yeah, the, 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 there's an anger throughout the album, but what, what I see here is like if if my aim is true was like the Kool Aid guy smashing through the wall, like look at this <laughs> debut. Uh, to me, the uh, this year's model is smashing through that. It's it's smashing through the wall of my aim is true because you know as Scott mentioned, Elvis's father was a tremendous 
influence on him. Yeah, Elvis even looked exactly like him. It was like he had that kind of style. And, uh, you know, in the book Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink, uh, which is in front of me, uh, which is among my favorite musical memoirs, even though it's above 600 pages, it's told out of order, which is which is great. It's great to do a memoir (laughs) that you just and there's um, no index. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But the uh, without spoiling anything, the final chapter is all about reckoning with his father's death. And it's among the most beautiful meditations on death I've ever read. Uh, But but getting back to this year's model, uh, to me, uh, My Aim is True is Elvis doing his own spin as a young man on these influences that are around him at the time, the things he loved as a kid, and his father's influence. My uh, this year's model is totally different. This year's model is he's he's only on his second album has he created the sound that he's going to have his greatest success with, and he's got the band who gets it. He's got the band that can work with him and absolutely makes the songs better. Uh, each one of them bring a tremendous amount. Um, and uh, got these songs. This year's girl, uh, he said, was his response to the Rolling Stones' "Stupid Girl." You know, perhaps the, one of the more misogynistic songs uh, of the <laughs> misogynistic Rolling Stones canon. Uh, hard to top, but um, and, and you know and the, the funny thing is, he points this out. He points this out. If you go get the liner notes, he says, like, you know, it's a, it's a a much nicer song than <laughs> than Stupid Girl, but it doesn't feel like that yeah. because even though you know Elvis Costello isn't saying, look at that stupid girl, uh, he's so much more cutting with his jibes. You know, you you know it was you know. The, the, those disco synthesizers, the daily tranquilizers, the bodybuilding prizes, the bedroom alibis. It won't mean a thing, but no surprises for this year's girl. And it's just like, yee. It's like, you know, sometimes you can be meaner by being more eloquent, even if you're not, you know, just being viciously, crudely dismissive the way Mick Jagger was. I mean, and this year's girl uh, is another song that is now forty years old and still has life. Oh, it's, it sounds it was, great. It, it, and, it was, and it's and it's when I say life, I mean it's still being used. It's it's the theme song to the second season of the HBO series The Deuce, which is about you know prostitutes and the porn industry. And, and he kicked off. He it was the first song he played at the show I saw last October in Detroit. And it's one of those where, as you know, it, it, you know drums first, then guitar, then bass. So it's it's a nice way to introduce the lineup on stage, and it killed uh, to open up that show last year so there's there's a bunch of great songs on this uh, album as well um pump it up is one of those songs that i guess he's like contractually obligated to play but um it, it hey listen well, just go go to any baseball game yeah. and you'll hear it too yeah. okay and and you know what like without even being like when he's at, when he, i never i never look forward to it but when it's in front of me and it's only 3 minutes long i still enjoy it it's yes. still fun yeah. um little little triggers is i think his first truly beautiful song um, you know, again, another, these songs are so compact. Not a single one over that even touches four minutes. Uh, you belong to me is kind of like taking 
uh, no action and putting it into um, an early 60s pop song. It's a bit of, it's 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 got that bite, but it's also got a swing. It's an upbeat song. Um, uh, was that, that that middle part? I don't want to be a goody goody. Just the way the way he delivers that, you know. <laughs> I don't know how you can't enjoy that if if rock and roll is your thing. Um, Lipstick Vogue might be his most punk song. There's just such a, a throbbing energy there. The the, the drums and bass. The, the, there's a real menace to that song. But also, it was weird. And, the most Asian song, you know, like, where it has that, that yeah. opening like <laughs> do, 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 do. Steve Naive. My God, what an element he introduced to the sound of Elvis's music. Yeah, and so I mean, do we do we do we do we is it, is Radio Radio part of this album or well, not? Well, I mean, you know, it, it informally yeah. is, of course. Just that yeah. people don't know, like in America, Night Rally, which is a song that has again one of those things that that still lives, unfortunately, because it's taken on added relevance in the era yeah. of Charlottesville. Um, yeah. uh, it was dropped from the record, and they put on Radio Radio instead. And uh, this is the one that Anthony was going to tell uh, us a story <laughs> about the single most famous incident uh, in Elvis Costello's. At, well, the second most yeah, incident. Yeah. So Anthony, why don't you do us all a favor and explain? Yeah, at the time it was the most uh, uh, it was the most controversial incident. So he's he's on his first U.S. tour. He's on goddamn Saturday Night Live, uh, which is only a couple years old at this point. And he's been told not to play radio radio because the lyrics are very um, kind of anti-commercial radio, anti-corporatist radio. Uh, which in in the days and nowadays there basically is either college radio or corporate radio if there's any at all. But then there was still a, a struggle between you know, the commercialization of rock and roll radio, and so artists were responding to it. Um, now, it, I mean, it's hard it's hard to see how controversial this song could have been. Uh, and I do think it's amazing that Saturday Night Live, which still I think has an undeserved reputation for being counterculture and and being the truth to power satirists. Uh, that early in their tenure, were they willing to bend over and say, yes, we won't allow radio radio to be played at midnight on a Saturday night on uh, Saturday Night Live. So they they tell Elvis, you can't play radio radio. He starts out playing uh, the first few bars of Less Than Zero like a person who's been told to play a song he doesn't want to play. He's right, like, yeah, yeah, if you see it, because you can find the clip and it's just like, it's so diffident. Like they already know that like, we're not doing this. Yeah. So, so Elvis, uh, with a flair for the dramatic, off mic, screams at the drummer, stop, and says, I'm sorry, folks, there's no reason to do this song right here. And then he screams radio, radio at them, and they blast into radio, radio, which is uh, the, non, uh, the non-breakup song version of, you, of no action. It's every bit as fast. It's every bit as jangly. It's every bit as angry. Uh, it's a, you know, I, I didn't know that it didn't close the UK album when I first heard this album. I thought it was just the bookend to no action, and I still want to believe that. Uh, but at that, that time, that was the, uh, the quintessential Elvis Costello moment. It got him banned from Saturday Night Live. The band would be lifted about 10 years later. Uh, and I only, I, I, like I said, I've already seen Elvis Costello about 12 times. I only first got to see him play Radio Radio Live uh, last year at Brooklyn Steel, and it was, it was thrilling. It was, it, was, it was one of the delights of my life to hear him smash through this 40-year-old song. I was 
You talk about uh, you know the genius of a song like Radio Radio, or maybe the genius of Elvis Costello as a lyricist in general. And it definitely has to be the fact that he's the only person I've ever known who could get across the forward and anesthetize yes. without <laughs> making it sound forced. You know, like you, know, you either shut up or get cut out. Then and want to hear about it. It's on the inches of the reel to reel, and the radio is in the hands of such a lot of fools trying to anesthetize the way that you feel. Radio is a sad salvation. I just don't know how you can get away with the, the moxie the moxie the sheer moxie to be able to put those highfalutin words into a song and not sound like a sniveling jerk uh, he somehow pulls it off either shut up or get cut out they don't want to hear about it's only inches on the real to real and the radio is in the hands of such a lot of fools trying to anesthetize the way that you to keep in mind about this there's a dramatic shift certainly in sound from from Miami is true and lots of that is due to Steve Naive and Bruce Thomas and Pete Thomas but uh, by the time he had recorded Miami is true Stiff didn't release it for a while it sat on the shelf for a couple months they, he wasn't really sure it was going to come out but almost literally by the time Miami is true is released he is he is already past that sound that sound is is gone i mean he's already working on this year's model he's already playing these new songs with with the new band and so it's you know that that era that Miami is true era is extremely thin in Elvis Costello's career you get to this year's model which again i listened to it again last night while putting together a pool in the backyard for my kids 38 minutes i mean it's slim um, there are so many killer songs up and down. There, there's not a wasted moment on this year's model. Um, look, uh, the other thing is that all of these influences, again, are plain for anyone who wanted to see them. The influences are there, but he doesn't let them influence the songs. That makes sense. So You Belong to Me is kind of a look from the last time turned around, but it's a totally different feel. Um, uh, I don't want to go to Chelsea which is amazing. They end up like detuning all the instruments so they sound a little off. The opening salvo, Pete uh, Thomas's opening drums there, I, I didn't realize this until I read it in, in his book, is simply him doing the almost, almost note for note or you know, beat for beat the opening from Jimi Hendrix's Fire. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's all it is. Uh, Lipstick Vogue is a very Buddy Rich type drumming effort by, by Pete Thomas. Um, all these influences are all over the album if you want to find them. Uh, a song like Lip Service, I really like Lip Service. It's not one ah, of the, You stole my thunder, Scott. Uh, yes, that's, that's the one that like hides, I think, from It does, people. yes. It it's absolutely such a good hides. song. It's a perfect song. This very Beatles-y, almost power pop. I mean, it's almost more at home with like a Nick Lowe sort of arrangement to it, but Elvis does it great. There's an acoustic guitar strum, which is not evident in a lot of these 
uh, plays with the two-part harmonies in the chorus. And Bruce Thomas is, just has this amazing melodic bass that powers through it. The hand claps in the pre-chorus. It ends on a sixth chord like uh, when uh, like uh, like She Loves You does from the Beatles. But it also, it also has that great snotty concluding line where he says, don't act like you're above me. Just look at your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> such, a, such a dick thing to say. Somebody's like, you know, it always reminds me of that great line from King Harvest by the band, you know, you know please don't judge me by my shoes. Yeah. Elvis is judging you by your shoes. Kind of forgotten, I think, as you said on the second side. Or there's just so much. There's so many great tracks up and down the album. I like I like Hand in Hand uh, quite a bit. It's got, a, it's got an odd construction to it. The first the first thing you hear is this like stripped down version of the chorus, but you're thinking it's probably a verse, and then you hear what sounds like it should be a pre-chorus, but that's not it. That that's actually one of the verses, and so you don't uh, kind of understand what he's accomplished in his arrangement until it's all said and done. Um, and then you, you, you don't ask me to apologize. I won't ask you to forgive me. If I'm going to go down, you're going to come with me. And the way that everything explodes at the end when, when Hand in Hand gets repeated over and over and over again. Uh, that's one of my favorite tracks on, on, on this year's model. Lipstick Vogue. Uh, uh, Anthony already talked about that one a little bit. Um, you Belong to Me is a great track too it's again the the trio of 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 instrumentation or i mean ellis is playing guitar too but really guitar is not found a lot on this year's model it really is is almost purely a you know synth organ uh drum and and uh and bass i I I always think of the attractions as a drums bass keyboard trio and that the guitar is just like it's barely there because elvis costello is not like a lead guitarist in any way you know he'll play solo and it does a fine job but yeah no it's not the focus in it that's i think why the attractions and this is the point where it's really we should as we start here point out what a great backing band this is they're so good that they rendered their lead singer and songwriters <laughs> instrumental contribution functionally irrelevant nobody needs to care about well elvis costello as a guitarist he's good he does fine he's not a lead guitarist he's a great rhythm guitarist he, he, he can play lots of very interesting chords good songwriter but that's not what you're listening to this music for you're listening to this music for his lyrics and you're listening to it for this band this whip crack whip sharp band and i think that there's the, the only song i want to talk about really on this year's model before we move on or or anything like that is is the one where i think that they show their chops to the greatest possible extent and that's i don't want to go to chelsea if the original version of this the demos i've heard the out the bootleg demos that haven't even been officially released yet it's a really chunky kind of um almost like a quasi i can't explain kind of a thing it, it's 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 awkward it's gawky it doesn't work and then all of a sudden you turn on the song on the album and you hear you know pete thomas going 
And then Elvis has been taught by the rest of the band to play that weird kind of snapping arpeggio, you know, that weird, uh, you know, like, you know, I don't know what you want to say. It's almost like, you know, whip cracks against the back of a horse's ass, <laughs> that, that guitar line and that great great chintzy keyboard sound by steve naive this is what the brand band brought it's a weird sound that that i think when when people first hear it they think well why is that intentionally cheesy uh because this is the what steve naive had money to play on uh you know in 1977 and 78 when they were recording this year's model he would he would play on actual pianos later on in the the attractions career but i love it there's just some anger and rage that song and that's also one of Elvis's best lyrics the, the way he spits it out you know, you know give a little flirt give yourself a little cuddle but there's no place here for the miniskirt waddle capital punishment she is last year's model which is again somewhat referencing what the title of the album mm-hmm. is oh god i don't want to go to chelsea i said no action was the best on this album and i said there was one other that i I think might be and this is the other one that i think might be the best out song on this record this might actually make my top five at the end Chelsea as a standout song on this one because there's a genre of Elvis Costello song which for lack of better phrasing I would just call weird Elvis uh, and I was um, at, at the show a couple weeks ago I was telling my friend who came to the show with me um, shot with his uh, own gun Elvis right yeah you know, yeah I mean green shirt Elvis yeah. you know like songs that don't fit in the other styles that he uh, so clearly adored and adapted into his own style this is there's no style that uh, he, you can really point to uh, of him aping here. He's he's really kind of creating something new under the sun. And like like you just said with the with the breakdown in this in this song. Um, oh no, it does not move me. Even though I've seen the movie, that comes out of nowhere from the rest of the song, and it comes out of nowhere from the rest of the album. And, it, and it, like, as a, as a melody line, it just seems so almost <laughs> both discordant. Yeah. with the chords but also perfect yeah. like you hear that once and you'll know how to hit all those wrong notes as you <laughs> sing along to it in your head so this is this is also the type of song and while i love it and this is also part of why elvis costello rises above the sum of his parts that why he's bigger than just punk and he's bigger than just uh you know a, a smart ass songwriter it's that a song like this can also alienate people weird weird elvis can alienate people and that he's he at the you know the, the he's a rising star he's got the confidence to get the band to do it the way he wants to do it and put it right smack in the middle of this record and of course you know weird elvis would come back in a major way <clears throat> very soon but 
we had a brief detour into commercial Elvis, or at least semi-commercial Elvis, with this next album, which is Armed Forces. Uh, this is an album that is praised to the skies, and it's certainly a, a less immediately, at least, aggressive sound than this year's model. Because I think, basically, it's down to Steve Naive. It's it's down to the keyboards and, and the introduction of a different synthesizer sound and the use of real pianos, which you first hear on uh, songs like Accidents Will Happen and Oliver's Army, which give a real pop sheen to this music and, and improve them in every way. Uh, this one is celebrated to the skies. Anthony mentioned uh, that it was one of his first Elvis Costello albums. It was one of mine, too. I actually got this one before I got this year's model. I loved it at the time. In retrospect, listen, I, I'm not going to be that jerk who says that Armed Forces is a bad record, but I will say that the pop sheen, the pop gloss of this record, which begins with Accidents Will Happen and it ends with, at least the American version, ends with What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding disguises the fact that there's some actually legitimate garbage tracks on this record. <laughs> there's some boring stuff. There's there's stuff like where like his outtakes, they're the outtakes. Again, get those two CD reissues, my friends. Get the bonus discs. I w if they had put tiny steps onto this, if they'd mm -hmm. put clean money onto this, if they'd put clean money onto this, they wouldn't have been able to, been able to use Love for Tender on the next record. Right. So I guess I, I'm <laughs> glad they didn't do that. But I'm just saying that there are better outtakes than there are original versions of the songs on these records. There's a lot of dross here uh, that is somewhat disguised by the, the sonic gloss, which is just so overwhelming and beautiful. And, of course, the presence of about four or five of the greatest songs that Elvis Costello will ever write. Tell me I'm wrong. Fight me. It's, it's weird because I, I really never was as critical of this album until uh, maybe a couple of years ago. It, it always just it always just slid into the rotation and maybe it was just the, the familiarity of it. And, and what, a, you know, again, it's uh, it hypnotizes you with a great kickoff. Accidents Will Happen is a great opening song. Um, and senior services is, is okay. It kind of goes in that in that way. Uh, I mean, in that in that same vein. But Oliver's Army is a great song, mm -hmm. a standout song, um, a He's already been political, but now he's getting kind of political in the present day and, and writing about the troubles and Margaret, you know, uh, Margaret Thatcher's not there yet, but the, um, he's he's a Brit uh, of Irish descent. Uh, bizarrely, Costello is uh, a family name that he adopted. Uh, there are there are there is a, an Irish Costello clan. Um, 
And the, Oliver's army has, uh, th this is where the first real political bite comes in, uh, where he's making references to Johannesburg and Palestine, and he drops the N-word in this song, which would absolutely get him canceled uh, today. And people, you know, don't, don't say it too loud. Just but, to be clear, uh, he, he, he is, is it, it, it's one more vic what the one more widow, one less white N-word. He's talking right. about the that yeah. you know that, that the, uh, the the Northern Irish right. are considered yeah. to be white N-words. Basically, like we treat you the same way that we would treat those garbage people, and you know that's that's the idea. But yeah, even even the idea of making that equivalence nowadays, <laughs> yeah, we just get it. You're right, get them canceled straight up. Hong Kong is up for grabs. I'm sorry, I kind of rushed through that when I mentioned the troubles. The troubles for those that aren't as obsessive on uh, that subject as me is uh, uh, just the decades of violence between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, where the British government was clearly thumbing the scales on the side of the uh, Protestants and the yeah, and Oliver's army. Oliver's army is Oliver Cromwell's yes. army because that's when if, yeah, Oliver Cromwell was the, when he was taking over for the king in the 1600s was the guy who first sent the first invasive English force to Northern Ireland to basically like, you know, colonize it with Protestants and with Englishmen to sort of take it away from the Irish. And that's why that reference there is. I think people don't really understand that who Oliver is in that song. Yeah, and also the architect of the first potato famine. Uh, so, so you know, Elvis, uh, like George Harrison and others, was one of those people who was born born a Brit uh, to British parents, but always had an affinity for his Irish roots, and it uh, comes across very heavily here. And as I mentioned before, uh, Weird Elvis pops up in a couple of spots. There's there's good Weird Elvis on green shirt which uh, I'll let you guys break it down musically because you could probably do it better than I could. Dude, I, li I lived practically next door to the Quisling Clinic when I was living in Madison, <laughs> in Wisconsin. Madison, yeah. and it was amazing. Every time I'd walk by it I'd, <laughs> with my wife, you know, and I'd be like, yo, that's the Quisling Clinic. You know that Elvis Costello song, which she like vaguely knew because I'd play it for her every now and then. It's like, you know, because somewhere in the Quisling Clinic, there's a shorthand typist taking seconds over minutes. You'd be like, that's nice, Jeff. That's nice. And uh, it was really hard to explain my nerd fascination with that. <laughs> but yeah, that's a real place. And it had nothing to do with Vidkun Quisling, which is what Elvis Costello, when he first saw it, he was like touring and he was in Madison, Wisconsin. And he saw that. And he's like, oh, man, they named something after Quisling? <laughs> Um, no, they didn't. It was just some other dude who happened to have that last name. Uh, but unfortunately for him, he got immortalized in a song that is now beloved by millions. Somewhere in the 
So the, and the second half of the of the record is where it really trails off for me. Um, Goon Squad never did much for me at the time, doesn't do much for me now. Uh, I listened to Sunday's Best recently, and it's just horrendous. I can't deal with it. Um, yeah. and, he included and, it on one of his greatest hits. I don't know why. And also a song that would get him canceled because it uh, has the phrase, blame it on the darkies, uh, which obviously is uh, satirizing racists, but it uh, doesn't matter in the present day. Uh, well, how about, li- how about the how about two little Hitlers? Yeah. <laughs> two little Hitlers, which is I mean, which is really just about a bickering couple. Uh, but the the just the second half of the album doesn't have any one song that's as good as "Accidents Will Happen," "Oliver's Army," or "Green Shirt." Scott, the uh, again, this is this is so heavily influenced by what they were listening to, literally on the tour on, on, on the tour uh, in America. Iggy Pop, ABBA. David Bowie, all that. Come, there is so much happening on this record, right? Production is more full. There, the lyrics are are just all over the place. Just they're they're they're, they're pouring out, right? There's phrases and language. Uh, Oliver's Army, part of a continuing series in which I learned British history through Elvis Costello. Um, you know, less than zero. <laughs> Oliver's Army, there'd be more. You must have had come. a very interesting view of Margaret Thatcher yeah. <laughs> if you were listening to like you know you know tramp the dirt down. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But uh, this, as I mentioned earlier, this was my first Elvis album that I really got into, that 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 I really tried to uh, understand and appreciate. And so Accidents Will Happen was like the first song. Accidents Will Happen still is just killer track. You know, first first thing you hear, you know, oh, I just don't know where to begin. Um, and, and he talks a lot about this. This is, a, he's 24 years old here. He's doing bad things uh, on the road, uh, women drugs uh they're all these sort of you know accidents will happen as a barely concealed confession and he you know he said he changes you know uh, i to you and i to he but really he's talking about himself It needs to be emphasized that this is a guy who had been married for years prior to having pop success. He already has a child. It's not like somebody who had, you know, you know, gotten married quickly or whatever. They had a long-standing relationship and a family. 
and he's violating those oaths and he's doing so almost with brazen aplomb mm-hmm. and you know it, at this late age he's much more circumspect and, and regretful about it but like at the time like dude he was like shacking up with baby buell like you know famous groupie who was the mother of Liv tyler among other things uh it was you know you know it was, it was stuff that's regrettable and i feel like i'm don't want to get ahead of ourselves here but i feel like it's kind of the that that track that leads to the big crack up that's about to happen right after this record. Though I am sorry for interrupting you, Scott. That's well, real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt too, <laughs> just because the uh, you make a great point about you know we we skipped over that biographical thing about how he's you know he was a regular guy with a wife and kid. This wasn't he wasn't a wife and kid guy the way John Lennon was, where he you know it was an accident. He probably would have broken up with Cynthia otherwise, and then he writes Norwegian Wood. This is <laughs> much more intense and and much more you know uh, hurtful, really. Yeah. And there's two songs in particular on the album for me that that sort of underline all that. Right. And one is one is Party Girl, which, uh, if I remember correctly, is was written in response. He, he had his picture taken with like a, a young college student and all sort of insinuations about what was happening and about the girl and and um, and, and sort of wrote Party Girl about that. Uh, but man, the lyrics here, I, I'm the guilty party and I want my slice, but I know you've got me and I'm in a grip like vice. Perfect. Um, and then the very- also, but but first of all, that's the best song on this album, in my opinion. It's even better than Oliver's Army. It's even better than Accidents Will Happen. But not only that, do you not notice the the incredibly obvious crib yes. from the Beatles? You never give me your money at the end of it. You know, I can give you anything but time, and yes. it goes to the same chord changes yep. as that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All good children go to heaven wow. at the end of you never give me your money. Yep. Yep. Totally intentional. Very obvious. But didn't realize it until I was pointed out to me. But once you know it, you can't escape it. It's there every single time I hear the song now. did you hear that because i love you never give me your money and i've never noticed that about this song so thank you You something new to me already even our guests learn something on political beats yeah and then and then busy bodies which if i remember correctly is a song about elvis's trip to mexico uh with a and uh, and then relations with a cab driver who brought him there um but that song is just essentially promiscuity wears you out man it's tiring uh now you've given your performance though the matinee was idle and you find out that a wave of her right hand could seem so title oh perfectly written lyrics uh busy bodies uh from from elvis there's a wonderful push uh pull momentum through the verses and and through the chorus on on busy bodies that's a great song um oliver's army how how that was not a bigger hit with essentially steve maive changed that by adding that piano and that was not in the uh the the original finish version and steve comes (laughs) in and adds that that abba like uh flourish via piano which just makes it great and that 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 middle eight that 
Hong Kong is up for grabs. What a great little section of that song. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you you get the British pronunciation of Arabs yeah. too, by the way. Yeah, the, the the very Cockney slang version of it. Um, but you know, how was it not a bigger hit? It was probably Elvis's insistence on including the N word in the lyrics. Yeah, 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 that might have dumped. That might have tamped down on radio play. But and Jeff is right that there are a, a number of of tracks that could have been here. Clean Money was Elvis's attempt to write a song that sounded like Cheap Trick. He said Dave Edmonds is on backing vocals. The beginning of that always reminds me of the beginning of the end of the WKRP in Cincinnati. That theme that plays over the credits. Um, Tiny Steps uh, is a great one. I think that was the I think that was a B side on Radio Radio. And then Talking in the Dark is a wonderful mm-hmm. track. Any of those would have been fine additions to uh, to Armed Forces, especially toward the, the tail end, which Anthony kind of just described earlier. Yeah, I mean, and, and part of me doesn't even, didn't even realize that like Taking Liberties was just a collection of all these outtakes <laughs> uh, because to me it, I just thought of it as an album, but it really is <laughs> like you said. These there are so many outtakes just from these sessions that were good enough for an album. You know, and, and I don't want to leave this this record without talking about uh, a song that everyone assumes is an Elvis Costello song, but it's not. It's a Nick Lowe song that Elvis Costello ironically covered. <clears throat> What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Which which Nick Lowe, when he wrote it, he wrote it kind of in Elvis sort of a mode. It's sort of an ironic parody. If you've heard uh, Nick's version of it, uh, it's sort of like an ironic, gentle, but loving parody of these, these 60s hippie trips. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding, man? And you can see the guy with the headband and the long hair and the, the, the shaded sunglasses <laughs> and he's holding his fingers up and the peace sign, right? All that. Um, instead, you know, Elvis and the attractions attack it with like rock fury. And they <laughs> sandblast away both any irony and turn it into a completely sincere anthem. And they also sandblast it away almost any relevance for people uh, – who aren't like you huge fans of this old British era of music like me, that it was a Nick Lowe song. Uh, it was originally not even on the album. Again, it was mm-hmm. just tacked on to the American version. It was the B side of a Nick Lowe single. But I think people finally realized like, well, wait, wait, why are we throwing away this gem? It's become Elvis's song as much as, you know, anybody else's. We did a great cover songs episode. In fact, this could have been on it, but the only reason it wasn't is because this from the day it was born seemed like an Elvis Costello and the attraction right, song right. right but like you know that 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 thrumming guitar solo which is not a guitar solo it's just elvis playing rhythm chords and he goes so who are the trusted you know and where is the harmony sweet harmony and when, when nick Lowe wrote that he was like making fun of people who were like why can't we all just get along where's the <laughs> harmony man but when elvis costello sings it he <laughs> sings it with such a fury and such a passion that he's he's like saying peace mother effers <laughs> and it's so powerful and that's the way that armed forces ends
uh, it's you know a great conclusion to an album that I think we all agree has some weaker spots on it. And you would have thought, but this is still like an ascending plane, right? You know, we'd be graphing out you know the Elvis Costello chart on on, on a piece of paper here, x axis, <laughs> y axis, year, and then on you know uh, artistic achievement on the on the uh, the y axis. You know, boom, he's just obviously getting higher and higher and higher. And then what happens? Oh no. He goes on tour in America. Always a mistake to go on tour in America, especially if you're a drunken, loudish, punky, angry Brit uh, who happens to run in to Stephen Stills, which is exactly what happens in Columbus, Ohio, of all places. Uh, they're touring. They're doing the Armed Forces tour. They run into Stephen Stills, uh, old steel nose, I think is the way that, that Elvis Costello opened up his interaction with El- Stephen Stills. <laughs> they happen to be touring. Uh, Stephen Stills uh, was playing the same town in a much larger stadium because even for old has-beens like you know stills they could still cruise on the crosby stills and nash love um and uh you know he was there with like i think the bonnie bramlett of delaney and bonnie and, and other members of his backing band happened to walk into the same bar that elvis costello who had been playing a much smaller club were playing and uh they immediately elvis costello drunk probably taken both a combination of uppers cocaine and immense amounts of whiskey decided you know f these people i'm going to get into a fight with them uh because these are uh, you know the, everything i hate about rock and roll music everything i hate about those old soddy sellouts decides i'm going to uh wind them up as much as i can because i hate steven stills and i and i always really thought that you know that 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 second Crosby Stills Nash album, not Deja Vu, but the one that the CSN one from 1977 is a piece of crap. And he goes in and he starts fighting with him. And what does he do? The drunken, angry oaf. What does he do? He tries to do what it was essentially, basically the, the first version of trollery, internet trolling that uh, you can find in uh, you know actual uh, you know pop culture. He he starts insulting everything that he knows that Stephen Stills will be offended by. He says, "Your artists suck. Your American music sucks." And then he goes deeper than that, and this is where he gets himself screwed. He says, "You know what, Ray Charles." Just the famous phrase. He says, you know, you, you, you know, your country, your, your soul, your R&B music is, is garbage. Ray Charles was a blind, ignorant N-word. And he says the same thing about James Brown. He says that they're garbage. And uh, what is he doing? Well, I mean, I believe him when he says this is the guy who was playing the Rock Against Racism <laughs> tour, fronting it a year before this. He's not a racist. He's just an he's just an a- Okay, that's what Elvis Costello was at this point in his life. And, and it has to be acknowledged. He was an asshole. He was a jerk. He was a guy who would see a fight and lean into it and seek it out <laughs> because that's just who he was. And he wanted to, to, to like engage in the battle just like people on the Internet like to do this with people now. But, of course, unfortunately for him, people like Stephen Stills and Bonnie Bramlett had connections with all the music industry people in America. And they said, look at this limey punk coming through our country saying all these horrible, racist, bigoted things about our great American artists, which it was immediately printed up as, uh, which immediately tanked. Elvis Costello's commercial reputation in the United States. His records were pulled summarily from the big radio stations all throughout the United States because he was branded as a bigot. And here's the thing. He always says, like, you know, this is 
the, 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 actually, the general rap is that this destroyed his commercial momentum in the United States. Were it not for this, what would have happened? I kind of believe that he would have always ended up as the artist that he is, mm. no matter what. I don't think he's ever been the kind of guy who would have got mass commercial acceptance because there's just something about his lyrical style. There's something about his approach that's too niche, that's too hyper-intellectualized. Um, but on the other hand, do I say, do I regret this? I don't. I, um, I feel like he had this coming. I feel like he deserved this. I, I, I don't think of him as a bigot or a racist or anything like that, but this was almost in, in a way sort of karmic payback for the man that he had been and the man that he had been behaving like for the last several years. That anger and rage that I talked about right at the beginning of the show where I said, like, this is something that kind of turns me off about him at, as I get older. Uh, this is its final expression where he just said something like horrible and hateful and nasty and crappy, uh, but he did it just because he wanted to, to get a rise out of the other person. That's, uh, you know not only a quintessential Elvis Costello move, but it's sort of the modus operandi of modern trolling. And it, it tanked him in the United States. Um, but nobody can claim that it was like, it denied us music that we would otherwise have not have heard from mm -hmm. Elvis. In fact, he's given us far more music than we actually need. Sometimes <laughs> we, we probably didn't need all of those weird side collaborations. Yeah. Um, but, but it's worth, you know, it's worth, sorry, it's worth it's worth noting that Ray Charles, um, Elvis, uh, has talked frequently, and even in his book talked about how uh, he had a chance to meet Ray Charles, uh, and he declined the opportunity just because he was still mortified decades later. Um, but Ray Charles had gone on the record saying, and you know, Ray Charles is a person who had struggled with substance abuse and had you know uh, questionable behaviors himself, even you know despite being blind, he was able to you know uh, get around town, as it were. Uh, but he said, drunk talk's not meant for the newspaper. Right. That, that was Ray Charles' take on that. Exactly. And then Elvis Costello said that, you know, still that the, I knew this was a hand that I could never shake, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's, that's sad. And yet I also feel like it was earned. It was kind of the comeuppance that made maybe sobered him up in a little way, which is ironic because the album he's going to do a couple albums after this is, is the one he, he refers to as his most drug addled album ever. <laughs> but what this eventually leads to is uh, boy, this is one that I think we're all going to love. It's get happy. It's 20 songs. 20 songs on a piece of vinyl obviously taking up after aftermath here and it's uh a he claims which i believe is a complete lie that it wasn't influenced by the ray charles influence incident but come on man it's it's 20 songs full of incredible soul and r&b inflected numbers uh this is the moment when i got this album i was elvis costello curious when i listened to this album i was an elvis costello fanatic and I still am to this very day. Yeah, I mean, Get Happy is, un there's no reason to, to, to hold this back. Get Happy is my favorite Elvis Costello album. It's, to me, the quintessential Elvis Costello album. Uh, he, I, in some ways, I was, I, I'm like, I wish there were more Get Happies. In other ways, I go, well, if there were more Get Happies, then Get Happy wouldn't be as special uh, because... You know, I was I was giving him credit for not going up to four minutes before. He barely touches three <laughs> minutes on any of these songs. Sometimes not even two. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously there's some great covers. Uh, I just saw him do "I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down," which was a great Sam and Dave hit. Uh, and I, I love it on the record, and I love it live. It's absolutely thrilling live. It's it's uh, it's 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 easy to, and, and again, he makes a song his own. Like it, it it was it was one thing. It was a you know a brill building song before, and now it's something else entirely. 
Um, there I, are so I many. Great- important for people. I came to the, the I can't stand up for falling down through Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize until I heard the Sam and Dave version yes. that it was a much slower tune. Mm-hmm. And there's actually an outtake version on the two CD reissue where they take it at that original pace, and uh, it's actually pretty good. But like, with, they hype it up, they hop it up, they turn it into this frenetic thing, where like I think he actually performed it on top of the pops, mm-hmm. and they put him in like a yes. lever that would hoist him up and down, up into mm-hmm. the sky. Like I can't stand up for falling down. Stupid little stunt, right? But like, yeah, that's about that. About captures the energy of that cover. It's a great song. And on the last verse, while as he's performing it uh, in the studio version, when he's like, ah, I can't stand up, he sounds like he's about to die. All right. The song is only two minutes long. <laughs> he's so so about 90 seconds into this thing. He's already given you like an Otis Redding level of uh, you know, hardest working man in show business. I'm singing my soul out of sweat and bullets. It's, 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 I've tried to explain this to people who don't quite, who don't know it already. And it always sounds stupid, but like there is such a, a, a love relationship between R and B, like the, the soul, you know, Sax records, Motown and punk. They loved, you know, they loved each other. You know, the, the older artists loved that there were young people still covering their songs and the older artists, uh, I think little Steven um, said this on his show that, uh, that's what the, the ascent, you know, essentially garage rock and early punk was, was white people playing black R&B songs really badly, really fast. <laughs> and um, there, there, there's a bunch of other, you know, covers on this uh, album. I Stand Accused is another one that takes an R&B song and makes it an absolute thrash banger. Uh, but the originals, there's so many great originals on this one. Love for Tender is the kickoff song. That's a great song. Uh, I still love the imposter. The imposter is one that I don't. You, you can't stop. You know, stamping your your feet on that one. King Horse. Oh, this is good. Weird Elvis. Even though it's you know it's still pretty verse chorus verse. This is probably the weirdest song on the album. That was the uh, moment. That was the moment I was confirmed Elvis <laughs> Costello fan for life because it starts with Love for Tender and then you have like um, I think it means uh, uh, opportunity. Opportunity. opportunity opportunity and then the imposter and then it goes and then that great great spiraling steve naive piano sound and it, it does sound like it's like a stampede of horses just like <laughs> running at you what a beautiful musical moment on that song
And you know, sometimes like when you're first getting into a new Elvis Costello record, you you only you only can grab a few words out because you're just you know right. you're just so enthralled of the rhythm. Uh, and so I didn't even know that I didn't know what the King Horse was. I was like, where's that song? I can't wait. What is the hell is King Horse? Because uh, the only the only lyrics that I remember hearing were between between bitterness and brute force. Right mm-hmm. or between tenderness and brute force, something like that. It, like the, that little refrain is what what stuck with me. I didn't even know that King Horse preceded that in the lyrics. Um, another song that's uh, good, weird Elvis is New Amsterdam. Um, I, I don't even know how you describe that. It's this is almost like uh, like the style of like when Paul McCartney would play his father's you know um, big band music. Uh, this the I, I don't you know, really know how to describe it better than that. It's, it's an old timey song uh, or sounding song on an album that sounds very of its time. Uh, High Fidelity is, is maybe one of the two best original songs on this album. And one that I just saw him play live uh, a couple of weeks ago, back to back with, I can't stand up for falling down, which is appropriate because they're back to back on the CD, if not the record. Um, Motel Matches is uh, the you know great great that it's got matches in the title. It's the torch song of the album. Mm. Um, beautiful song. Uh, Human Touch, another <laughs> sensitive rocker. Um, and Riot Act uh, is rip off your chest and show you your beating heart kind of level of uh, emotion. Uh, and and also a great way to kind of transition out of an album that's really what it sounds like it's called get happy it's it's a this is an album full of bangers this is a, this is an album you can put on at a party i um my opinion of this album was lessened for a while because in my mind i i, I kind of shoved it aside as being like just like a genre exercise right it's just uh, elvis doing r&b much like uh, almost blue is elvis doing country and it's just not it's just not right um this is a can be seen as sort of a clear um, uh, j- just advancement of, of of the band as a whole, and the album itself is fantastic. There are twenty tracks here, as you guys have both mentioned, and, and there's not one. There is not one I would delete. Not one, um, and it is sequenced just pristinely. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of like little groups. I always think of this album like group. Uh, you get 20 songs. You have to think of it in groups of songs, I suppose. Um, but the way it sort of moves from one grouping to another is just perfect. Jeff, you forgot one of my favorite songs in the in the opening uh, five songs just before King Horse is Secondary Modern. I hear that groove in my sleep. Do, 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 do. Uh, just fantastic, and Elvis doing a little bit of his early kind of crooning in a, in a lower register in in secondary modern. Uh, man, that is fantastic. That that middle eights that Steve adds some color into. Steve Naive adds color to that middle eight section. Great track. This is the hand that you never should. You never gave me the chance that I took. Secondary modern with a will be a problem.
the two back-to-back I just can never get enough of is uh, Black and White World and Five Gears in Reverse. I, I, I always say, I, I wish, I wish I could play the drums like Pete Thomas on Black and White World, and uh, I wish, I wish I could play the bass like Bruce Thomas on Five Gears in Reverse. Uh, a Black and White World, under two minutes in length, uh, again, a song transformed by the attractions. I almost didn't, didn't think it was going to end up that way. Pete Thomas comes in and lays down that incredible track on Black and White World and, and changes it completely. Uh, I love the lyrics, too, which is kind of an old time in Black and White World, kind of an old time cinema, kind of where fantasy is better than reality is what the lyrics essentially are about. in reverse um bruce thomas the final 30 seconds where it sounds like his bass is going to rumble through your speakers it is unbelievable uh temptation where they just cribbed the time is tight from booker t and hmm. sometimes transition into it when they play that song live actually a song originally written about bruce springsteen uh who's this kid with his mumbo jumbo uh elvis mm-hmm. he thought that bruce was a little full of himself a little uh, believing of his own press at the time and then realized that well he was too and so uh it wasn't anything i think mean but it was written about bruce uh, springsteen originally um Riot Act, man. Riot Act closes the album. I know Anthony mentioned it briefly. Ah, I love Riot Act so much. It's the only song on here that really um, directly kind of hints at the controversy um, in some of the lyrics. Um, you know, I don't like the, the color I'm painted. And, but man, the, the beginning and the end, the, the first the first lines, forever doesn't mean forever anymore. I said forever, but it doesn't look like it, I'm going to be around It feels like he initially anymore. wrote that song about his wife, right? Forever doesn't mean yeah. anymore. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, it turns into the, I'm sorry that you're painting me as a racist, yes. but I'm not. <laughs> and which is, but by the way, the way, the way people write songs, by the way, you know, they'll throw like a lot of stew into the pot and see what, you know, bubbles upwards. And yeah, I, before I, found out in the internet era what that song was actually about i could immediately tell it's like okay this is the elvis is talking about the whole like ray charles controversy riot act you can read me the riot act yep. you know and uh god it, it it's it's the best song that he ever ended any of his albums with ever well, also also remember the lines uh so the second verse you can read me the riot act you can make me a matter of fact or a villain in a million a slip of the tongue is going to keep me a civilian. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's an obvious reference to... to uh, obvious, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> you were saying, Scott, not, not to quote the entire song, but the yeah. very end of the last verse is one of my favorite uh, Elvis uh, lyrics. Trying to be so bad is bad enough. Don't make me laugh by talking tough. Don't put your heart out on your sleeve when your remarks are off the cuff. And his vocal delivery is insane throughout the whole song, but especially on the very end of that verse. Uh, it just ends just a perfect way with Riot Act.
And one other note, not on the album, and actually give it away to Dave Edmonds is a perfect song called Girls, Girls Talk. Girls Talk, yes. I, I, I think Edmonds' version is actually better than Elvis's. I got to tell you, Elvis is a little slow. Edmonds kicks it up, and, and, and uh, I, I love Dave Edmonds' version of Girls Talk. Okay, so remember when I told you guys at the beginning of the show that I used to play Elvis Costello songs, and every now and then when a girl would be particularly impressed, I'd be like, yeah, I, I wrote that. Uh, one of the ones I was referring to, they all come off of this album. <laughs> uh, well, well not, the, the other one would be Boy With A Problem off of uh, Imperial Bedroom, which I think is equal to this and that one might make my top five at the end too but man songs like clown time is over which no one has here mentioned yet i love that song it's a song it's it's it's, it's pure imagination all right you know it's like you know like somebody's abducted somebody tears on your blackmail you know a part of the fingernail says he's for ransom it's basically saying like you know like you know we've got him give us the money or else he won't be coming back clown time is over uh while others just talk and talk somebody's walking where the others don't walk but it's just a beautiful song just played in this very smooth Motown style with this incredible, incredible organ line, you know, the do 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 and it's simple and yet profound all at the same time. ones that, that that fall into that bag for me were of course high fidelity high fidelity a, a, a movie i will still insist to this day even though everybody <laughs> accuses me of being a, a member of the cast practically or having the book having been written about me as a music fanatic no i've never seen it um but the the song of course i've been deeply aware of for decades um high fidelity is a song where the lyrics the more you examine them, uh, the less sense they make. <laughs> but it's obviously a song about romantic and sexual jealousy. But like you know, that that final part where it's like you just can't wait to feel so frozen. I bet he thinks that he was chosen out of millions. I suppose you'll never know about high fidelity. I mean, he's accusing this this woman, and he's been sleeping around himself too. <laughs> the, the, the irony here just works on multiple levels. Like, what right does Elvis Costello have to? accuse anybody else of being unfaithful but bam high fidelity can you hear me can you hear me that great supremes style yeah. motown sound great oh, beat. oh god that beat is so good that could be one of his greatest ever songs
And there, there are 20 songs on Get Happy. 20 of them. 20 songs. And very few of them I would remove. I mean, I, I you know, you, you say like, oh, beaten to the punch. Maybe I might take that one off. <laughs> I don't know. But like, no, I wouldn't. The pacing is perfect. The, the, the fact that he crammed all of this onto a one single disc of vinyl mm-hmm. is amazing and then if you get the two cd reissue it used to say on the original album it said like you know like 20 hits because there was 20 songs in the album now it's 50 hits there are 30 extra songs on the bonus album and they're also all great live tracks outtakes b-sides stuff like hoover factory and ghost train and dr luther's assistant and you know we didn't even talk about new amsterdam for crying out loud there's so much great music on get happy yeah yeah i I compared it i compared it to paul mccartney's uh um kind of like the stuff that sounded like his father's big band music i'm just Mm. pointing out that like there's Mm. the efflorescence Mm. of 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 songwriterly brilliance on this thing. He's reviving old songs. And in Mm -hmm. fact, during the outtakes for these sessions, he would be reviving a lot of songs that would end up showing up on his next album, which I consider to be the greatest Elvis Costello album ever released. That's an album called Trust. And uh, I know Scott feels the same way about this as I do, so I want to let you take this one first. Yeah, this one is... uh, uh, Trust is one I got to a little bit later as I was going through the uh, discography of Elvis Costello. And it was a bit of a slow grower, too, because it, it's uh, it's unusual. You know, uh, Get Happy is a little departure from, from the previous sound, but it still, it still grabs you and attacks you with that R&B uh, beat and the rhythm. And, and so it was not a problem really, really putting my arms around Get Happy. Uh, trust, I, I know it took a while for Trust to, to really become what it is now uh as jeff mentioned it, i think it's his best uh i think it's his best album trust start from that cover that is one of my favorite covers in all of music i love the cover of trust with elvis uh dark background uh looks like smoke uh sort of rising uh he, he's he, the spotlight on him the sunglasses are just a little bit down on the nose he's looking off into the distance uh, through the corner of his eyes i love the cover of trust all right, so what about the music? Well, these are these are some older songs. There are a couple of songs like Watch Your Step, New Lace Sleeves, that, that he had been working on going back to like 1975, 1976. And now this album is released in January of 1981. Why do I love Trust so much? Um, it is truly Elvis flexing every muscle in his body musically. Uh, from the different sort of, of 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 types of music, different genres that are that are around here, you get you know shot with his own gun is literally just Elvis and Steve Naive on piano. It is a stunning song. It is a showstopper. It stops me in my tracks when I hear "Shot with His Own Gun." Uh, lyrically, it is totally on point from start to finish. Musically, the attractions never, ever, ever, never sounded better and more complete than they do on Trust. This is the absolute best that the attractions ever would sound on on vinyl. Um, it, it is just amazing. And I, I, you know, I have to start, and I know Jeff's going to add more on this later, because I, I, in addition to Trust being both of our favorite album, I think there's a decent chance that New Lace Sleeves is also, uh, if not uh, both of our favorite songs, uh, in, yep. in the top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Lace Sleeves ugh, blows you away. Uh, from the very start, you, you hear Pete Thomas on the hi-hat. Thump. 
Um, and then Ellis coming in with that 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 really kind of tight rhythm, yes. that very Stax Volt rhythm, like the Steve Cropping. Oh God, it's such it's it's the greatest ensemble performance that that band ever gave, and they gave tons of them. Bruce comes in on bass. Steve's organ kind of melds that sound together, and by the chorus. Uh, it just sounds so smooth. And then, of course, after the chorus, they break it down again. It falls apart again. They build it back up during the second verse. It's a great, great vocal take from, from Elvis. I love Pete's uh, little drum roll that takes you from white lies back into the rest of the chorus. Uh, and, and the lyrics, this tension between passion and sort of uh, um, suppressing emotions and, and, and trying to be civilized, as he says in the lyrics... Uh, it starts off side two. It is uh, it is most likely my favorite Elvis Costello track. I mean, the awkwardness of a bad hookup, bad lovers face yes. to face in the morning. What was it? You know, good manners and bad breath will get, get you, you nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just like, oh, that's. I mean, man, I went through college. That happens. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> oh man, that's 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 like so on point. It's so real life. And then again, it goes into that great, as you said, that unfolding course. The teacher never told you anything about white lies and then you never see the lies that you believe and you look so pretty in your new lace sleeves and then Steve goes on that, that great little great filigree up on the piano it's just effortless it seems like it's an automatic recording like this came out of their sleep because it's just so perfect so tight she's no angel It is every song on this record, maybe with the exception of Different Finger, which is the, like the country track, and mm-hmm. unfortunately it was a harbinger of things to come. <laughs> that's the one song that I might remove from it. But everything else on this album, including the outtakes, is a masterpiece. Yeah, I'm. Uh, Anthony, you go now because, boy, I, I'm going to just hope that you take all my stuff from me so I don't waste everybody's time. No, I probably won't, but I'll get to a lot of it. Uh, here was the big revelation for me in recent years, and I'd known most of the songs on this album for a while and never owned it as an album. Uh, and I now realize that it wasn't Armed Forces in Imperial Bedroom that uh, is Elvis's rubber sole and revolver. This is the rubber sole and the revolver is to come. This is this is the quintessential um, uh, Elvis at his peak of all of his powers combined. Get Happy might be my favorite album, but this this one goes many more places than Get Happy does. 
And uh, the two standout songs for me, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of songs, but the ones that work most on me, some similarities, they're very piano heavy. They have odd syncopation, uh, Lover's Walk and Strict Time. Mm-hmm. Those, are the, those are the two that just really reach me and, and, and I'm never not in a place where I want to hear those. They're very rhythmic tracks. Uh, yeah, They're unrelenting, yeah. both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that, so so that to me that's like the rhythm and blues and the punk together there because there's there's a great beat to them but it's just like boom, 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 you know um, you know strict times got the the piano going constantly you know just like it's throbbing the, the whole way through. Some, there's, there's some other uh, tracks that, uh, from a whisper to a scream, uh, has I forget the guy's name, the guy from Squeeze, Glenn Tilbrook. Glenn Tilbrook. Yeah. Oh boy, I was okay, yeah. I'm glad yeah. you got to there because I was going there. Yeah. So this is the first, you know, kind of this is the first time a we not only have another voice on an Elvis Costello record, but it's a recognizable voice from a very big band at the time, uh, and. I don't know. I really don't know how like I would have felt about this at the time. I do really like the song now, uh, but it, it's it's jarring that we're now out of the fifth album and there's a new voice and it's a it's a voice of a popular singer. I mean, from a whisper to a scream is a great song. Another <laughs> great. I, I, I love the part that he gives Glenn to sing. I'm a big fan mm. of Squeeze, by the way. So me like, too. When I hear like what he goes, you know, take in every word she says just like it's an open invitation. But the power of persuasion is no match for anticipation. And it was mm-hmm. something that Elvis could never have sung himself. I mean, that was why he gave it to Glenn Tilbrook. You know, he's just like, ah, you know what? I can't do this. They were friends. The bands were, were casual friends. And so they're like, all right, you do this. We'll trade. And then, of course, on Imperial Bedroom, he returns the favor by working with Chris Difford on a song. Uh, but God, the energy of that thing is so great. Clubland, yeah, the no, song that yeah. opens this album, which yeah. is <clears throat> it begins with this swirling merry-go-round of sound, you know, with Steve Naive playing both piano and organ, 
overdubbing himself, obviously, simultaneously. And it gets to that fantastic chorus where it's, you know, the boys next door, the moms and dads, new weds and nearly deads. Have you ever been had in club land? And there's like a harmony vocal that can't be Elvis. It must be some random girl they got in to like sing it because it's too high for him. But gosh, the 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 power and the focus of that song. Uh, it, it, it was the only one, I think, that was included. Uh, no, this and watch your step. Watch your step, by the way, is my, my second least favorite song on this record, ironically enough. Those are the only ones that were included on that greatest hits album that I got that first introduced me to Elvis's you know music. And then I thought, well, man, well, clubbing that's great. Don't like that other song. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a dip. And then I finally got this and I heard songs like Pretty Words. Pretty Words, a song that no one talks about i mm. i bet he hasn't played it since 1982 okay it, he should uh it, but the, you know pretty words don't mean much to me now and then all he all i hear are big shots you know snapshots machine slots you don't know what's what till you don't know what you've got that great ascending permanently ascending desperate sounding chorus that was just an album track it's forgotten this is an album full of great album tracks that are forgotten. Pretty words don't mean much anymore. I don't mean to be mean much anymore. All I see are snapshots, big shots, dead spots, machine slots, big shots. You don't know what's what. You don't know what you got. You don't know what. I guess I just can't say enough about the greatness of this. The only thing I also want to say is that it has great outtakes too. You know, the, you know there's um, the it album ends with Big Sister's Clothes, which is sort of another Margaret Thatcher thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all little girls want to try on Big Sister's Clothes, and that's of course the very snotty way that he refers to Margaret Thatcher, like, "Oh, you think you're an adult now? Ha ha ha! Whatever. You know, take your politics. That's fine. I don't care." Um, but the remake of it as a rock song just called Big Sister that was used as a B-side is even better. I like that <laughs> version a lot. And I really like a song that didn't even come out until it was rewritten like three separate times and it came out finally on Punch the Clock. It's called 25 to 12, which is their attempt, their failed attempt, but beautifully failed attempt to recreate the sound of Heroes by David Bowie. You know, that gliding, mm-hmm. slowly moving sound. Um, and it, it, it doesn't sound it does if you hear the opening part of it you get why they're going for it. they had that it has that soaring groove but uh it, that's not real really the true appeal of it the true appeal of it is is the part where it goes into the uh, the chorus there's a second chorus you know you know the hands on the clock move so precisely and i only kissed her once or twice i can't help you now can't help myself time's running out and it's 25 to 12 that is just uh Effortless songwriting ability thrown away wasn't even released until like 1995. You can find it on, as a bonus track on these albums. This two-year, three-year, I guess, if you include Imperial Bedroom, is the true apex of Elvis Costello's creative fecundity. Time you own it, time and now 
good music here and that makes it almost bizarre that the next thing he's going to do is an album of country cover songs i have to mention very very quickly black sails in the sunset which is another one from this era is fantastic it's got very oliver's army feel to it and the piano from from steve just like it is on oliver's army and then i can't leave trust without mentioning you'll never be a man if mm-hmm. not for nothing else than the totally odd construction in which there are in this song a total of four lines of verse everything else is either pre-chorus or this very long chorus and you'll never be a man um rhyming porcelain and pain in the, the, the british privacy there's so many little little quirks about you'll never be a man that makes it uh, so wonderful Pretty Words has been played six times ever by Elvis Costello last time wow. last time in 2013 in England. Whoa! So he did bring it out at least somewhat. He brought it out in the 20th century, 21st century. I, I am proud that this is a case. <laughs> he finally realized that it was worth uh, rehearing. Maybe he'll do it again uh, next time you go see him. But he probably won't do Tonight the Bottle Let Me Down. <laughs> uh, which, I guess, brings us to the first weird left turn. We don't have to spend too much time on this. The first weird left turn of, of Elvis Costello's career. This is the moment where, I mean, he's obviously strung out quite a bit on drugs. Uh, he, he refers to Trust as his most drug out album. He said it before. Uh, he says, I'm not bragging. I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, I was taking in the line you'll never be a man no matter how many foreign bodies mm-hmm. you inject he's talking about pills you know? yeah. <laughs> like, no matter how many things you put in your body you're never going to be more of a man than you are and uh you know i think he was feeling the burnout and so what did he do he said you know what it's time to go uh why did he get this idea no idea it's time to go to nashville I'm going to record with Billy Sherrill, old school Nashville, like, you know, Robert Altman, like Nashville country producer, uh, you know, Tammy Wynette, stand by your man. That's that. That's Billy Sherrill. And um, he comes out with an album that is exclusively covers of not just country songs. There's some old blues songs in there thrown in, but they're all done in this country style. The attractions are are bolstered. Uh, by <clears throat> some of the Nashville regulars who are handling things like pedal steel guitar and all that. Um, this album actually was a great commercial success in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. of all things, uh, but is now treated as a bizarre footnote and a weird diversion in his discography. What do you guys think about Almost Blue? 
I, I, I bought it not knowing what it was, didn't even look at the track listing. And I remember being like, eh, I'm not going to play this again, but you know, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. Cause I like the album cover. Um, I don't hate it as much as I originally did. I actually just listened to it in preparation for this show and I see where he's going with it. I don't, I don't know that I would have appreciated it as a fan at the time when I'm, I'm looking for more of the growth of the budding genius that I've seen. Uh, I don't understand this is, this almost seems like, you know, some of his, I, it's the kind of thing where it's like you appreciated some of his trolls. This seems like a troll of me right now, and I don't know that I appreciate it. But uh, uh, real, you know, just to, to, to get through it really quickly, the, the standout song for me is "Goodyear for the Roses," which I think ended up on a good, on one of those greatest hits Ryko disc mm-hmm. uh, albums. Uh, I didn't know when it was on that greatest hits album that it was a country cover. I just thought it was Elvis doing a slow song, uh, and that he wrote the lyrics. He did not. Uh, and that one still holds up for me. I think that's a that's a pretty longing song. Write a good year. And it won't still linger there The long could stand another mowing Funny I don't even care As you turn to walk away As the dark land you close The only thing I have I, I really like Almost Blue. It's it's it, but as, as Anthony said, if 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 it were real time and I were well, I, I was alive, but but not certainly listening to Elvis Costello at that point. Um, you were in diapers. <laughs> well, I was came out, I right? was three or no, I was two. Yeah, so diapers yeah. still. But. Uh, I could see it being a very weird shift from trust, but in retrospect, when you can kind of point and, and choose what you listen to and when you do, uh, I, I really like Almost Blue. And, you know, you, you, you read uh, uh, um, his book, and, and this is all very personal to him. I mean, he really loves this music and these people in Nashville, and he loves George Jones. And, you know, he came to, to kind of the other side of country, so to speak, through the great Graham Parsons and uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo from the Birds and, and GP, Graham Parsons' solo disc. Uh, there's two Graham Parsons songs on, on the album. And so it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it, it's meant to be a, a tribute. It's meant to be very much Elvis just, again, showing you, the listener, things he likes and, and things he listened to previously and, and doing it in, the, in this cover version. And again, if you go back to My Aim is True and, and, and that bonus disc and the, and the outtakes, you've got, you got uh, Radio Sweetheart and, and there's a lot of country-tinged tracks back then, too. So about the songs, I think they're, they're done very well. I, I, I like... Um, actually, both of the Grand Parsons songs. One is a remake of Hot Burrito Number no. One, which Elvis renames "I'm Your Toy," which is Very, a better title for the song. I would say so. <laughs> okay. Yes, uh, and then the last song on the album could be my favorite, which is the other Parsons uh, cover, "How Much I Lied." Very soulful reading, but a very different reading from from Graham Parsons' version. He he really does make it his own, kind of builds it around this piano melody from from Steve Naive. It's a great performance. Precious things inside So why not you should surely be Miles and miles away from me 
Then you'd never care how much I lie So try to understand the pain It takes so long when I explain Please don't you forget how much I lie Uh, elsewhere, very quickly. I mean, if you don't like country, you might not like almost blue. But but there's um, uh, sitting and thinking. Um, it's got this really nice little tight groove to it. It's something that uh, almost reminds me of something John Hyatt would do from that time period, a little later. Uh, and those two guys would do a song together later on too. Um, Tonight the bottle let me down. The Merle Haggard song, very uh, nice version. I mean, I, I really like it. Um, but again, if you don't like country, it, it can be very much an, an, uh, a weird kind of exit rant from what was happening before. I, I understand that, but uh, I, I very much appreciate what he was doing. I do like country. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily love Elvis Costello's version of country. I respect the fact that he keeps coming back to it. He won't yeah. give he won't give up on this. His <laughs> love for it is absolutely apparent. So I do like I do like you know I like the upbeat numbers. Like why don't you love me like you used to do? Which is just played as this you know honky tonk screamer. It's a, it's a minute and thirty seconds. It's so short. It's so quick. Yep. And I like tonight the bottle let me down. I as far as the short the rather the slow songs go i i do think good year for the roses as as, as uh, anthony mentioned that's yeah they deserve to be the single from the album i'm your toy how much i lied both both are great too but then there's a lot of generic crap on this you know sweet dreams or success or brown to blue i mean this honey is hush. Hun- well, honey hush which is just you know high heel sneakers basically right yeah. it's it's yeah. it's you know it's as old as the the rocks on you know the rocks that that are build up the mountains of the great Colorado Rockies. It's not like a song that you can do a new version of. Um, but the the other one thing I do want to mention is that they covered a song on this album sessions that didn't get released, and it's a song called Psycho. Yes, another yes. And uh, they didn't like the version that they did of it in the studio, so they went back to the old live cut they oh, had cut great. during the Armed Forces tour, and they released that as the B-side, I believe, of uh, Good Year for the Roses, or um, I don't know if it was that song or maybe another one, um, uh, but that's a great song. That's a really messed up, messed up song. You think I'm psycho, don't you, mama? Uh, you better, you know, He's basically he's like I've killed everybody. <laughs> he's like, you know, I, I, I was you know, hanging out with my girl, and then before I knew it, my hands were around her neck, strangling her to death, and then I killed my mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better let him lock me up. Dark, weird, strange song uh, that was obviously attractive to Elvis Costello precisely because of its perversity uh, and that he does a really kind of a psychopathically smooth version of his vocal on the live version I think he I think he overdubbed it I think he, he you know the, that he, he did a new studio version of the vocal for that live release but it sounds so uninflected he really does sound like Ted Bundy he said you think I'm psycho don't you mama just never breaks or inflects or gives you any sense that there's there's anything going on underneath the surface other than your know, pure insanity <laughs> oh don't hand me johnny's pub mama cause i might squeeze him too tight i'm having crazy dreams again mama 
country thing in the world but it's set to this great john mcafee pedal steel guitar and it's just a, a wonderful song probably the best thing in my opinion that came from those almost blue sessions but you know the funny thing is is that you know you talked about anthony that like you know if uh if trust is really the rubber soul mm-hmm. and um uh, you know, uh, Imperial Bedroom is the revolver of Elvis Costello's career. I, I would use a different analogy that, uh, you know, um, Trust is the uh, summer days and summer nights of yeah. the Beach Boys career. And uh, Almost Blue is the Beach Boys party. Yeah. It, it, it's the weird interlude before their great <laughs> masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, because the next thing that we're going to talk about is Imperial Bedroom, which was literally marketed in the United States successfully, brazenly, boldly so, with the simple one word um, trade publication ad saying masterpiece? Question mark imperial bedroom that you got to have a lot of stones to pull that kind of an ad campaign off and the album that you're hawking with it better live up to the reputation imperial bedroom does in every way if it weren't for the weird sort of polyglot perfection of trust this would be elvis costello's greatest album in my opinion uh i have most minimal criticisms that i can make of imperial bedroom but uh, they're minimal, and what we are dealing with is his great production album. He, he tried to go back to this style much later on in his career with albums like Mighty Like a Rose and Spike um, with nothing remotely approaching the same level of success that he pulls off here in 1982, recording in Air Studios, George Martin's studios. Paul McCartney's recording Tug of War Next Door. He gets George Martin to look at some of the string arrangements yeah. and like, you know, correct the, uh, the arrangements and things like that. You have an album that uh, some people uh, claim <clears throat> Scott uh, is overrated, but they're wrong. I don't think you can overrate Imperial Bedroom. <laughs> I get. I guess I'll take the the handoff. Look, I uh, very careful, right? Overrated is not being bad. I this is a this is another great album. I just don't think it's. Uh, I'm not sure it's the masterpiece that it was. Uh, that it was advertised to be. Um, I I, I kind of look at this the way I, maybe that you looked at uh, uh, Armed Forces. I think I think there are tracks on here that are pristine, that are just brilliant, uh, and there are some that that just. Uh, leave me a little cold, especially toward uh, toward side two. Um, I, I will say I, I, I listen to I still listen to it often and listen to it more intently this time around in preparation. And I, I did like it perhaps a little bit more than previously. So maybe there's still more some hope for me. But look, the great stuff on here is truly fabulous. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, human hands uh, on here is maybe the first just relatively straightforward uh, love song. 
uh, mm. that Elvis Costello writes, uh, and it's 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 just brilliantly good. Bruce Thomas uh, on bass. It, I think one of the side effects of the production on Imperial Bedroom is. Um, I'm thinking like uh, and in every home where there's, I, uh, there's almost a limp drum sound in and in every home because there's so much else happening. There's an orchestra and horns. And so some of the some of those contributions are a little bit lessened, I think, uh, throughout the album. But Bruce Thomas on Human Hands is brilliant. He has this melodic c- counterpoint in the final verse that goes right up against Elvis's lyrics. And it's really fantastic. Uh, but Human Hands is just a uh, song about love. Whenever I put my foot in my mouth, do I have to draw you a dime? diagram uh, you know these things uh, tighter and tighter i hold you tightly you know i love you more than slightly but it's it's you know not it's caustic. not it's not just that though it's the bass line that bruce thomas is playing underneath mm. he's playing chordal bass which yeah. is not right very right. that is uh again the first time you find that element introduced into an elvis costello song and it works so perfectly are you living in this world? Sometimes I wonder in between Saying you seen too much And saying you seen it all before Elvis had talked uh, about how much he admired uh, Squeeze, uh, and, and especially Chris Difford's ability in lyrics to to tell these little mini stories. And he really does that very well himself on Imperial Bedroom. A long Honeymoon is just a killer track. Nothing like perhaps that had been recorded before. Uh, you have these French horns, there's an accordion, but the narrative here is so well drawn and so well laid out for the listener to sort of discover himself. Uh, a young wife who thinks her husband uh, could be cheating um, and wants to call her best friend to perhaps uh, commiserate and her phone is ringing and what does that mean? And there's, He actually leaves this little empty line after that so the listener can fill in the blank about what's happening the story. Before bedtime, uh, that story in that song is uh, also another suspicious wife and a defensive husband. Uh, you know, maybe just c- cut from his life. Uh, I, I suppose, perhaps. 
But uh, some of the lyrics on Tears Before Bedtime are just just razor sharp. Uh, what the, the second verse, um, uh, for the tears that you boo-hoo-hoo, there can be no defense. You'll say you'll forgive and forget, but it's only a pretense because they're going to fight again before bedtime, as they do every night. Um, it's great. And then very quickly, I know someone else is going to talk about Beyond Belief, but it's the first track on the album. And again, oh, we're all going to talk about Beyond yeah. Belief. <laughs> <laughs> but one of those, one of those uh, w- weird constructions, too, which, you know, where's the chorus? And, um, you know, I might make it California's fault. Sounds like it should be the chorus, but that's not really because... No, the chorus comes only at the end. At it's the not even a chorus. End. It just fades out right. on the chorus. And then Bruce, uh, Pete Thomas, uh Hungover after a full night of drinking comes in to the studio and everyone's a little pissed off at him for for coming in in that condition though I'm sure no one else was really in much better shape. Um, and Pete Thomas sits down at the drum kit and nails this performance in one take uh, for Beyond Belief and and sort of makes it di- again add something and makes it different. There was a, the demo which you can hear is called the Land of Give and Take and it's not quite what it would be after Pete got through with it with with the, his drum take on Beyond Belief. Just a killer song to start Imperial Bedroom. There's there's a lot to like here, guys. Again, I only say overrated in that I don't think it's quite as good as as its reputation, but it's fanta- It still is fantastic. I mean, from 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 Beyond Belief to Town Crier, I, like what are the songs that I would toss out of this? Tears Before Bedtime, I, I think it's a very weird arrangement. It, you know, it, it's it's both upbeat and it has these very crazy harmony vocals. The Tears Before Bedtime, and then there's a bass vocal going underneath it. I don't know if that that really floats my boat, but beyond that. Yeah, what? I, I'm looking through the liner notes right now. Maybe like Little Savage is just like a bit, yes, yeah, a bit yeah. weak, but nothing. No, from the beginning yeah. to the end, it's so good. I love uh, the the thing. Uh, I'm gonna let Anthony get in on this before I go off to the rails. But there's just one song that I want to single out first, and that's the Loved Ones, which is another one of mm-hmm. these great story songs. He's <clears throat> he's writing about like a washed up. This is a complete imaginary conceit. Although he's probably thinking about himself post, you know, Ray Charles incident. He's talking about a washed up rock singer who's gotten in debts to his mafia thug bookies who have now abducted him and threatening to break his thumbs, basically. You know, and so they're saying to him, don't get smart or sarcastic. He snaps back just like elastic. Spare us the theatrics and the verbal gymnastics. We break wise guys just like matchsticks. And then he's imagining his own death. What would the loved ones say? What would happen if I died? What would happen if I was found washed up on the shore of the Thames or they they fished my body out of the river and then it's all of a sudden that it goes into this it has the uh the incredible Steve Naive piano which Mm -hmm. just carries it through this incredible weird artistic conceit and then ends with a blatant Beatle reference where he's just like throwing PPS (laughs) I love you into the ending of that song why do not more people understand the genius of the loved ones
but before I keep going on and on about almost every song in this album, Anthony, please save me from myself. Hey, we, we, listen. I'm not going to let I'm not going to let anyone not have their time with this album. Take every everyone should have the time to reflect on Imperial Bedroom because it's one of the. I mean, Scott doesn't think it lives up to the hype. I, I'm as cynical as anybody, and I do. I, I you know I, I bow at the altar of this record. And the thing that I really admire about this record, one of the many things, is that per capita, it's got the most good weird Elvis on it. This, <laughs> this thing is loaded head to toe with weird Elvis. It's all Stop good that. weird Elvis. Yeah, it's yeah. all good weird Elvis. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the, the thing is, I think the least weird song is the Loved Ones that you were just saying. To me, that's the one that seems most like a recognizable, uh, you know, rock song. Even with all its weirdness and all of its, you know, the, the crazy lyrical content, um, it, especially at the end when it's when when they're doing the P.S. I love you, ba ba ba. That that seems just very poppy to me. It's very welcoming. Uh, but the, the 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 you know, and I'll work backwards to the song we all know we're going to get back to. Uh, uh, Man out of time, you know. Wow, that 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 song just that, that's a particularly long song for Elvis, over five minutes. But it just brings me to my knees uh, of a, you know, a, a time of, of self-reflection. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of uh, Elvis is, is getting older. He is recognizing, you know, the, the ways he may have acted in the past. Uh, but he's he's reckoning with that. And Man Out of Time is, is, is one of the most uh, beautiful expressions of it. You know, Scott talked about how he walks sometimes around or he wakes up from bed with the, 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 the beat of secondary yes. modern going through mm-hmm. his head mm-hmm. for me. And I don't know why this is, but for years, years and years now, I don't, don't even know why I do this. I have that one line from Man Out of Time that goes through my head. Days of Dutch courage, just three French letters and a German sense of humor. And I've never understood what the three French letters are, but I know what Dutch courage is. It's, it's either mm, it's yep. either weed or alcohol. And I know what a German <laughs> sense of humor is, which means no sense of humor at all. <laughs> and yeah. so, but I, the, the lines from that song will stick in your head. And I think that maybe the reason that they sandwich themselves there is because the song itself is this weird sandwich. It opens with that weird screechy early version of the song that's yeah. only included on the bonus sticks. It opens and closes with it. Yeah. You know, this like screechy, like howling, and then all of a sudden it goes into this slow ballad version. And then once you think you're building this climax, it goes right back out into that crazy thrash. Yeah. And everything that comes in between is then forever locked in your brain. When it ran from you In a private detective overcoat Dirty dead man's shoes The pretty things of Knightsbridge Lying for a minister of state a far cry from the northern wind Here at Tracer's Gate Cause the high helios The bee has been ground down And it listens for the footsteps That would follow him around The man of my love is a crime But will you still 
still plays it that way live. He adds the the thrashy part at the beginning and the end, you know, it performs it out, even though it was obviously a studio creation. Uh, it, one of the three most recent times I saw Elvis was at uh, the Central Park Summer Stage, and he was playing Imperial Bedroom in its entirety. And what I particularly loved about it is that unlike a lot of these other nostalgia acts who play, you know, complete albums start to finish, he didn't play it in order, mm-hmm. mixed it up. Which, which, which I'm sure made things more interesting for the band, and it certainly made things more interesting for the, you know, uh, for the audience. I think I feel like when you see an album, if you're going to wa- if you're going to watch Elvis Costello play Imperial Bedroom back to back, you already probably know the album really <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So I mean, and, and I just I mean, to me, like it, it's it, there's more surprise in that. I'm, I know that I know which which one I'm going to hear, but I don't know how I'm going to hear it. And, and I thought that was great and and uh, respectful of his audience. Uh, Human Hands, I also will co-sign as a, a great song, a weird song. Um, it's got a bit of a pop hook to it, but it's it's performed strangely. I don't know that I'd ever hear this on the radio. And also, as Scott noted, very notable for I can't I can't detect any cynicism in it at all. It seems like his his most earnest song to date, and it's a great song. And the oh sorry the the the, the other song that I, I would put as least uh, weird along with the loved ones is you little fool, mm-hmm. which um, you know it has that that uh, you know Elvis double tracking himself when they're when he's singing the beginning of the chorus you little fool little fool little fool uh, great hook on that song and of course uh, beyond belief which. Uh, Go to town. Uh, Go to town. I, I, I finally you, get. To, <laughs> speak, finally, speak for me, my friend. Go it's for the, it. It's the secret handshake, I think. I think when you when you're when you're finally coming out to the world and admitting that you're an Elvis Costello <laughs> fan, and you meet and you meet the person that knows beyond belief, you don't need to either. You don't even need to say how you feel about beyond belief because your eyes light up, you know, because it's just. Uh, God, and he's so good at opening numbers. I'm, I'm just noticing, like, mm-hmm. looking at these discographies, he always picks the right track to open the song, the album with. Uh, and this one, uh, what a, this is this is the best weird Elvis because, as you said, the the incredible chorus, the the absolutely anthemic chorus, comes at the, the end. Comes, it's just it's just the fade out. It, so it's basically nonstop tension, each each of three parts, each of three different styles. Uh, from the the beginning to the, to the you know the the, the build up uh, and then, know, then, then the whole like I might make a California's fault to nope. be locked in Geneva's deepest vault yeah. right these are three distinctively these are three distinctive sounds they all are super intriguing and they they just grab a hold of you and and the thing is the song is two and a half minutes long and ends just as you're about to explode it, it like <laughs> that's the one thing I could say it's like it's it's uh, it's it, it kind of makes the song ex, uh, exceptional in that regard and, and maybe more memorable. But like, you, I want this song to go on for way longer, and it just won't. It just fades out right when the, the anthem is beginning. My hands were clammy and cunning. She's been suitably stunning, but I know there's not a in Hades. All the ladders cat talk, both whistle, so called gentlemen and ladies. Dark fight like rose in the sun So um, I, I could go on, but Jeff, your turn. Well, I mean, 
you got. Thank you, by the way, for ventriloquizing me. Uh, I, I, I adopt by incorporation everything that you just said about Beyond Belief, and I don't feel like I need to say anything more about it. It is one of his greatest songs ever. I think that like the last two songs on Imperial Bedroom that I want to mention are uh, the first one is what I think I consider to be the first truly successful genre experiment outside of Elvis Costello's wheelhouse in his career, and that's Almost Blue, which, of course, the prior album was titled Almost Blue. The song that he wrote called Almost Blue wasn't on the album. Why? Well, because that was supposed to be a covers album. This is something he wrote himself. This is him doing a jazz blues but more jazzy than anything else. I mean, he even gave it to Chet Baker to cover later on song. And this is, you know, maybe the beginning of something that would end up becoming a uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a pox upon Elvis Costello's career, but somewhat of an obsession where he always is, is, you know, like he gets bored with playing rock music or the stuff that he originally started on. He wants to record albums with a classical string quartet, or he wants to record, you know, albums with, you know, famous jazz pianists or, you know, Hey, I want to do something with the roots. Why not? Because I can. Um, and this is the first of those songs where almost blue is him doing a torch ballad, a jazz torch ballad and actually pulling it off that, that, that slow, beautifully slow pace to it with it, he's clearly writing what he thinks of as the style sort of the great american songbook he's not playing autobiography here he's not working in a lot of those you know you know overly witty or clever references he's just saying you know almost blue we're doing the things we used to do. There's a girl here, and she looks just like you. It's something that you could have heard in, a, a, you know, something that Nina Simone would have sang or Billie Holiday would have sang that song. Maybe changing the genders, I imagine. But it's just, you know, again, it's, it's him and, and Steve Naive and, and actually uh, Bruce Thomas doing a very subtle job on what I believe is a string bass. Almost blue, almost doing things we used to do There's a girl here and she's almost you Almost All the things that your eyes once promised I see in us too Now your eyes are red from crying. Almost blue. Um, the other one I want to talk about because you guys have covered all the others. I mean, I mean, I would talk forever about you know human hands, or I would talk forever about Beyond Belief. Tears Before Bedtime, Shabby to all those things. But uh, the one that you guys did mention is his other collaboration, sort of the end of his, his collaboration with Squeeze. He would actually go on to produce <clears throat> one of Squeeze's great albums, East Side Story, uh, and then sing backing vocals on Black Coffee in Bed. Uh, if you're a fan of Squeeze, you know mm -hmm. these albums and this sounds great stuff. Um, but, you know, so we had Glenn Tilbrook on to do From a Whisper to a Scream on Trust, and he returns the favor by having Chris Difford, who is in Squeeze, it was it was a lyrics and music kind of division of labor. So Tilbrook would, would do the music 
Difford would write the lyrics. Uh, so he had Tilbrick on to help on from a whisper. And so he said, Hey, here's a song. I've got a title. I'm going to call it boy with a problem. This is the music. This is the instrumental that I'm going to give to you. Can you come up with some words for it? And what he did is he wrote a song that could have been done uh, by squeeze and been a great uh, track on any of their albums, uh, but becomes a superlative song on Imperial bedroom. Uh, you know, I feel like a boy with a problem. You know, I can't even remember what we've forgotten. And then I slap your face and then i made you cry domestic domestic scene but then there's that beautiful beautiful middle eight section where you know he sings like i crept out last night behind your back the little they know might be the piece i lack came home drunk talking in circles the spirit's willing but i don't believe in miracles and the, the hilarious thing about this incredibly powerful instrumental track that undergirds his lyrics is that elvis costello got hung over drunk pissed out of his brain and just said screw it i'm going to bed <clears throat> and then when he woke up the next morning the rest <laughs> of the attractions had recorded the track without him and they slipped it through his his mail slot and said here you go <laughs> here you go we did it it's done don't worry about it and that's the final thing that goes on the album I feel like a boy with a problem I can't believe all you've forgotten Sleeping with forgiveness in your heart for me And it's uh, a triumph on an album of triumphs. I, I just think that everything pretty much everything about imperial bedroom represents not the height of elvis costello's artistic ambitions because he's always gonna be ambitious he's always trying to do strange and weird things but it's that moment where ambition met ability in a truly perfect way that it would he would have incredible albums from here on out i mean the second half of the show is going to be populated with records that we both well all three of us are going to fawn over but right here is that moment where it all meets in a perfect handshake in a perfect grip where you know reach and grasp are at the same level and that's what i love about that record there's one more song I, I didn't uh, I didn't mention. I can't believe I, I didn't mention it because I even had uh, one of the wiki pages for this song over it uh, is Kid About It. Um, and I didn't realize that till recently. He uh, Elvis says that he wrote that song the day after John Lennon died. And uh, just, you know, it, it obviously is a sad song, uh, has nothing to do with uh, the John Lennon murder because he. Yeah, wisely said i had i do not think i was uh, the person to to write that song and certainly not in that moment but though there is a a reference uh you could take it as a reference uh singing the leaving of liverpool and turning into americans john lennon obviously left liverpool mm -hmm. and died in america um and 
but that is that is just another uh, song that's that's fairly straight. It's 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 a it's a mournful ballad, uh, and was also great live. So, what do you think about uh, Elvis Costello turning into a blatant pop musician? Uh, because this is what happens: he hires Britain's hottest pop producers. Uh, Clive Langer and Alan Wynn Stanley, uh, then famous for uh, songs by a group called Madness, uh, which I guess nobody really knows about these days. They did score a number one hit single in America, Our House, which mm-hmm. is, again, one of those singles yeah. that people have forgotten about. It's um, on coffee commercials now, though. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. So I guess, I guess its memory is kept alive. Yep. Uh, this is Punch the Clock. This is Elvis Costello saying, enough of that, all that arty crap. I want to have some pop success. I want to do something that's a little lighter and a little more upbeat. Uh, and uh, this is the album. Which, you know, you hire commercial producers. Guess what? It's quite likely you're going to get commercial success, particularly if you're a decent songwriter, which Elvis Costello, at that point at least, still was. So this is the one that did better than anything else that he had done up until that point. But a lot of people don't like it. What do you think of Punch the Clock? Not the biggest fan. Uh, it was a bit of a struggle to revisit it. Uh, there, there are some standouts. Every day I write the book. It uh, doesn't do much for me on the album, but it's become such a mainstay of his live show. And it's, uh, it's a real showcase for Steve Naive when it's played live. He gets a, a real good amount of time to go wild on the keys, uh, which I enjoy. Um, and other than that, the standout songs for me are Love Went Mad, and shipbuilding, which is uh, he's 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 touched on this bef- before. There's, there's he's had a bit of a spooky song thing, um, and this one is uh, one of those spooky songs, uh, you know, about uh, d- relationships falling apart. Uh, other than that, I don't have much to say about this album. I think Punch the Clock is a little better than its uh, reputation if you uh, adjust your expectations. Meaning, what is it? As Jeff mentioned, it's Elvis saying I, I'd, I'd like some pop success um, and I'm going to hire some people who know how to do it. It's a, if you can call it an Elvis Costello album, fun, uh, upbeat. Uh, I mentioned to you guys via email, I'm an old guy now, so you know when I have to clean the house or something like that, I, I, I pop on Punch the Clock. It's kind of peppy and upbeat and it's got horns and the TKO horns and uh, the, the first track, Let Them All Talk, eh, it's a great song uh, with, with the TKO, TKO horns front and center. Um, and again, the way he, you know, these are the best years of your life. Now they're here and gone uh, is a great delivery. Uh, Bruce Thomas actually has a really adventurous bass line kind of buried under uh, all the production on Let Them All Talk.
That's a really good song. I think the first three songs here are, are perfectly fine. Very good. Every day I write the book, and then the greatest thing is the third track, which um, is is um, is kind of a <laughs> a track about how how great it is to be in love. If you can possibly imagine that, again on an Elvis record. Later on, Charm School I like quite a bit. Um, it's got a really good groove and this this four note Steve Naive hook. Uh, for Charm School, uh, Love Went Mad, as Anthony mentioned, is a really good song. I kind of like The Invisible Man. It's it's a little dated. That's the song that eventually came from 25 to 12 that, that uh, uh, Jeff had mentioned earlier. Um, it, it's not my favorite Elvis album, but I it, it, if there's such a thing as disposable Elvis... Punch the clock would be it. It sounds good. Fun pop disposable Elvis. Yeah. Yes. It's, it sounds good when I listen to it. It helps me vacuum up the living room. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not as good as trust. Uh, no one's making that argument that I that I know of. Uh, but I think it's all right. Uh, I really do think it's all right. I think it's a little bit better than it's uh, kind of sellout uh, reputation would would have you believe. I mean, I think I, I enjoy this album more and more with each passing year. When I first got it, you know, going through the Elvis Costello discography as a, a nerdy high school student buying all those Ryko disc reissues. Yeah. <clears throat> this is the moment. I'm almost blue. Well, obviously, I wasn't initially a fan of, but you sort of, I knew in advance. I'm like, oh, this is the weird, <laughs> got a country excursion. And then he's going to get back to the real important stuff with Imperial Better. But here's the place where I was like, what is going on? Uh, because it opens with those big, chunky, brassy horns, you know, and let them all talk. But the thing is, is that the more I listen to this record, the more I find out each, you know, this is not doesn't have the subtlety and the immense, I guess, artistic ambition of Imperial Bedroom or Trust. But man, songs are solid. Charm School is a solid song. Uh, TKO, Boxing Day, which is basically yeah. written as like an excuse to say, listen to these awesome horns. You know, it's just like, we got a really cool horn section. This is the Dexys Midnight Runners horn section. We're going to use them. Hope you enjoy them. Guess what? I enjoy them. They're good. Uh, and the other thing is, is that we talk about it almost dismissively, but every day I write the book, is a great song. It's a great song, and it's one of the very, very few Elvis Costello songs that doesn't have that bitterness that you normally associate with them. That, as I said at the beginning of the show, that chewing on tinfoil bitterness, because it has that. But it also has that wonderful, you know, it, 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 the premise. Of course, it's like you know, I'm in love with you, and every day I write the book of love. You know, and of course, he's probably started with the premise of the book of love. You know, that famous old, you know, like '60s hit. Uh, so he's like chapter one, chapter two. You know. He's He's writing that little book of love. But then the, the best part is at the end is that when he says, like, even in, in a perfect world where everyone was equal, I'd still own the film rights and I'd be working on the sequel <laughs> because every day I write the book. And, uh, you know, he still hasn't read a sequel to the to every day I write the book. So so those, those film rights may have have defaulted to someone else. Maybe, uh, you know, Sony is going to make a film out of it instead. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think this album has a lot of charm to it. Working on the sequel, and I'm giving you love every day, every day, every day, every day, every day I write the book. Every day, every day, every day I write the 
And it's obvious that the band is leaning in hard to the approach. Like they're not resisting it mm-hmm. the way that you hear on uh, the next album, which is, of course, a down way that we're going to have to end this episode of the show. Uh, but there's stuff like, like you know, as I said, you know, uh, Love Went Mad, I really think is good. I'm not as much of a fan of Invisible Man as you are, Scott. I think it's a disappointing end to a, a song that was better when it was Seconds of Pleasure or when it was 25 to 12. Um, but, you know, the one that you guys didn't mention, uh, unless I, I, I misheard, is Pills and Soap, mm. which, which is you know, his, another one of his anti-Thatcher rants. I think this one's about sort of the Falklands War. I think it was actually about the general election that was coming up in 1983. Yes. Yes. Right? And, he you had, know, to, he and had to it, lie about what it was about to get it played. He had to say, oh, it's just about how man treats animals. Um, exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's, it's I think his other uh, other point about it is that it's influenced by like Grandmaster Flash, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the the message basically. And, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to get that from the song, but you get a pretty interesting sort of drum machine beat and piano music along with, you know, Elvis's typically coruscating lyrics. I think that there are lots of good stuff on this record. My only complaint really about it is that I prefer The World and His Wife as its original sort of acoustic ballad version that you can find on the bonus tracks uh, than I do to this sort of like, you know, body kind of like, you know, horn ranting knees up sort of thing that you get at the conclusion of the record. Uh, But I I think Punch the Clock is better than people say it is, uh, which is not something I can say about Goodbye Cruel World an album that Elvis Costello in 1984 he released this record <laughs> this is the last record that he did with the attractions before breaking them up temporarily and in every single reissue of this record that he has written liner notes for he opens by saying this congratulations you've just bought our worst record he's not wrong <laughs> and the rap on this record is that it's a great album uh, it's it's an album. It's a bad album, but it's it's an album full of great songs that are badly recorded. And I, for years, tried to believe that as the hook for it, and I don't. I can't bring myself to believe it. I just think that he was at a low point, an emotional and a psychological nadir, maybe even a creative nadir with uh, the attractions, the rest of his band, and the result just spills out all over a record that. Uh, fails in almost nearly every respect <laughs> but there are some redeeming moments none that i would uh, certainly want to highlight as uh, an emphasis or something that you must have to hear except for randomly enough a demo track which is the best thing that's on the two cd ratio of this album is a demo of a song that he recorded later on what do you guys think um, pretty much, pretty much with you as far as your lack of enthusiasm about this album. Uh, but I, you know, it's it's kind of you, it's kind of understandable how to diagnose how this happened. Uh, first of all, unless you were really trying consciously to avoid it, just the productions of the mid '80s could render an album irrelevant for all time. Uh, the, 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 there are so many albums that have good songs that are just overproduced uh, or soullessly produced. And Elvis had, had just with Punch the Clock kind of leaned into the commerciality. And on this one is admittedly unfocused, uninspired, and is a, you know as, as fed up as he's ever going to be with the band. Uh, and it shows. And while, they, like you said, while there are some moments where I've, I've heard the songs performed better later, um, one I'll give a nod to is Joe Porterhouse, mm-hmm. uh, the oddly titled Joe Porterhouse. Uh, I just when I was re-listening to the album in pre- preparation for this episode, I forgot how good that song is. Please don't make him let him sleep. It's a moment she can keep like a- 
and that uh, I'm kind of glad I did because I really have had no reason to go back to this record very often and now I've got at least one song that I will go back to and I'll give you one well as you mentioned if people know anything it might be the only flame in town which is the duet with Daryl Hall MTV ready video uh, that's not a great song at least at its uh, its final form the, the, he does it uh, kind of slower there's a demo version that sounds better but the one song I would tell people to at least give a uh, give a spin to is uh, inch by inch which I actually think is a good song and not terribly drawn down by the production, although there is a tenor sax, which sort of dates it a little bit. Yeah, that sax. Um, but but I, I like that bass line that, that uh, Bruce lays down to sort of anchor it. It kind of has that uh, kind of dark, noirish kind of feel to it. I think Inch by Inch is actually a good song. It's the one I would I would pull off of Goodbye Cruel World, which, as uh, you two have, uh, have, have laid out, is, is not really worth revisiting very much. I mean, I think that like Love Field kind of works uh, in a Love Field, and it has that sort of vibrating, thrumming synthesizer sound. That bed of noise that opens it—it it sounds like almost like you know crickets chirping on a hot summer day. I like that part of the, the song. The arrangement—it uh, it does something for me. there there's some chintzy synthesizer sounds on it that just sounds so un-elvis uncostello like and and this is it's not even like you well maybe you could blame langer and win stanley but i don't know if you can because you didn't hear that kind of noise on punch the clock which is strange so like it just it feels like everyone was out to lunch here on this album you know it's 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 ironic that the best song on this record is the one that is a cover song <clears throat> which is I Want to Be Loved. Um, the version that they finally did for the record, unfortunately, suffers. It was a single. It was released as a single. Uh, but it suffers from all of the same production texts that inflect songs like uh, it, The Only Flame in Town. It has just like this, this screechy synthesizer, these weird decisions to to introduce new chordal shapes into the otherwise very simple structure of the piece. Get 
I don't understand why they ruined the basic simplicity of the song, but you can hear the original version of it uh, on the demo. Unfortunately, you can't hear it on YouTube because uh, Elvis Costello doesn't like YouTube, uh, which is his right. Uh, so you, you you don't get a lot of those songs, those, those obscure outtakes, which is why hopefully we can excerpt them for you here on the show. Uh, you don't get them there. It's hard to find this, but the original piano demo that he recorded just alone in a room. He was writing songs in a room. He was doing it as like a nine to five day job. Uh, he was he thought that this is sort of like a discipline that would help him. Apparently not. Um, and he recorded that simple version with him at the piano, and it sounds so plaintive, so powerful. It would be sort of a preview of the the things that, for example, Anthony talked about, where he would sing "Couldn't Call It Unexpected," you know, solo uh, with just a piano accompaniment in the concert hall with no with no amplification. This is the early version of that. This is the early version of Elvis sort of developing a powerful vocal style uh, that isn't reliant on tricks or isn't reliant on harmonies, isn't reliant on amplification. Uh, and it's not even on the album, which is a sad thing to say about a record. And in fact, the last record that Elvis Costello and the Attractions would do for their initial period. Well, what an appropriately titled album. <laughs> Goodbye, cruel world. He said he meant it as a joke, but you know, perhaps subconsciously, you're saying things that you aren't, uh, you know, allowing yourself to say consciously. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of our Elvis Costello shows. We'll pick it up again in part two. But at the end of this part, we uh, still give you the two albums from this era that you should uh, own. The five songs that you must hear. Our guest, Anthony Fisher, politics editor at Business Insider and Insider, has the floor first. Anthony? Okay, the the two albums, if I was just going to say albums and play it straight, I would say Get Happy and Imperial Bedroom. But I'm going to throw a curveball because I'm going to recommend Live at Hollywood High, which we didn't discuss, but which I I believe should count as canon because it really does capture just the absolute frenetic energy uh, of Elvis Costello and the attractions basically through the first two albums. So now you, I got to ask you, Anthony, are you talking about the mere EP or the full length reissue that was, was thrown out on that recent armed forces set? Got to be the full length. It's yeah. the, the full length is the value because right. uh, as, as we were, as we discussed in this, it encapsulates this year's model, which could uh, uh, easily be one of the top two albums. And, and it salvages the songs of My Aim is True, which suffer from, you know, the, the wrong band and really too lo-fi produc- uh, production values for those songs. So in Hollywood High, you get uh, the best of this year's model and My Aim is True at about 10,000 miles an hour. And uh, as I as I said, Get Happy uh, and Imperial Bedroom, if I had to pick between the two, I love Get Happy more, but I feel uh, the, the, the Elvis Costello experience requires... Imperial bedroom. It's it, like I said. It's the mo- it's got the most per capita good weird Elvis. Pretty much all of it. Uh, it's 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 a it's the kind of thing that you could show to somebody when they kind of are familiar with Elvis Costello. They know what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding. Maybe even some some deeper cuts than that. But if you gave them Imperial bedroom, you could say this is the one cohesive album that uh, really demonstrates his true genius and the inspiration that he had at the time. My five songs from this era are, as previously discussed, No Action, Radio Radio, High Fidelity, Beyond Belief. And if I had to pick a fifth song, an essential song, it would be Riot Act, because I think this uh, this top five needs a slow one. And uh, that's that one is 
uh, I guess you could say uh, Elvis is angry at himself, uh, but also, you know, it, it seems like a, a genuine act of contrition is Riot Act. Hey, and by the way, self-indulgence is a standard trait with Elvis Costello and his music. So if you had to pick a sixth, what would it be? If I had to pick a sixth, excellent. Uh, I get to pick a sixth. I'm going to say... Pluck it out of the air, my friend. Lipstick Vogue. Uh, just another another one just to, just to give uh, this year's model its due uh, uh, because they you know for all the places Elvis would go his roots were punk that's that's a punk song off a punk album. All right, uh, album wise for me, look, let's be serious. You could pick any of the first five and you'll be just fine. Trust me. But um, when you uh, when you want to get a scope of what's happening, I I think if you're only going to have two, this year's model has to be one of those two. And then I, I, I will point you to trust in which uh, you essentially get everything Elvis has to give you on, on trust. So uh, this year's model and trust, uh, the songs, uh, um, there's going to be some repeats here, I think, from Anthony. So we're on the same wavelength here. Uh, Lipstick Vogue from, from this year's model. Uh, Oliver's Army from Armed Forces, which is just really a perfect song. Um, Riot Act from Get Happy. Um, New Lay Sleeves from Trust and uh, and Beyond Belief from uh, from Imperial Bedroom. Those would be my five. Well, okay. So uh, my top two albums, I think we kind of pretty much telegraphed this one well in advance. Trust, of course, we agree. Maybe Elvis Costello's greatest album. And, and I'm really kind of, you know, I, I'm really, you know, dead set on emphasizing this because a lot of his other records get talked about more. People talk about Imperial Bedroom. People talk about Armed Forces. This year's model, My Aim is True. Trust has fallen between the cracks in a lot of ways for a lot of, you know, crit- in terms of critical reputation. It should not have. It is his great achievement. Uh, and the second one is Imperial Bedroom. Or if I am reading the album sleeve correctly, <laughs> the actual name of this album is Ibn Pitaroyo. Um, because they interspice each of the uh, words, each of the letters. It's I-B-M-E-P-D-E-R-O-O-I-O-A-M-L. Imperial Bedroom, clever though it is, including that title font, is a magnificent achievement. And it's Elvis at his most unrestrained, his most Beatlesque, and his most creative. And as I said, it's that moment where ambition and um, you know artistic grasp sort of meet and shake hands. Uh, my five songs, I would start with Party Girl from Armed Forces. There's so many great songs on My Aim is True and This Year's Model. But you know, you, you were being brutal, you're forcing me to edit i'm gonna have to start with armed forces and i'll say it's party girl i could have chosen oliver's army or accidents will happen but the uh, the pathos of party girl still hits me remember i i do like elvis when he's he's got less of that bitter edge to him and that's the softest song on that record the next one is high fidelity i'm never gonna i'm never gonna see the movie so stop asking uh mm-hmm. but i love that song i have played that song about a hundred times personally and sang it myself uh it is just one of the first songs i taught myself to play and sing on a piano uh it's the highlight of one of his great albums which is get happy uh, third is new lace sleeves uh scott and i have said uh, enough about this song there's really not much more to add it's the best song on his best album uh beyond belief uh which all of us have mentioned i think mm-hmm. uh, is the best song on his other great album uh, and uh, i don't really uh know what else we can add to that so i'll spare you human hands is my fifth song also from imperial bedroom 
I'll never, I'll never get over my love for that last line on Human Hands where he says, you know, all you toy soldiers and scaremongers, are you living in this world? Sometimes I wonder in between saying you've seen too much and saying you've seen it all before. Mm. Just a classic, well-observed Elvis Costello line, uh, getting all of the full scope of braggadocio and, you know, you know, fake emotional uh, posery into one lyric. I just, I, I love that song. I love the music that underpins it as well. The honesty of it. And since I have, you know, artist privilege here, I'm going to throw in a six. Then I will say that Goodbye Cruel World is a terrible album, but everybody absolutely must hear his original piano demo of I Want to Be Loved, which uh, is, is Elvis Costello at his most emotionally frank. And I think that he felt liberated by the opportunity to cover someone else's songs and someone else's music, that that made him less inclined to uh, uh, adopt a pose or to sing with reserve or with snottiness that he could just be straightforward and, and sort of pour himself into someone else's words i want to be loved is the great example of that and it's a shame that it never turned out like that on the actual album why must i be so lonely when so many people pass me by I've been waiting for oh so long now And I'm not able to answer why I can't be made to give up now Can you find room for me we go the political beats look at the first portion of elvis costello's career we thank our guest politics editor at business insider and insider and producer of the fifth column podcast at uh, we the fifth.com at anthony l fisher on twitter anthony thanks for joining us in part one and we, we hope you'll return for part two because we don't have a, a second uh, plan yeah, no, there's there's plenty to get to and in, uh, in many different directions. <laughs> All right, many more albums to get to, Jeff, before uh, before part two. Indeed, and uh, I hope you're happy now, folks. Uh, at Esoteric CD on Twitter. For him, my name is Scott Bertram. Find me at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed. New episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or NationalReview.com. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. <laughs>